Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, sawadee, corrupt, guten tak, jau, weevi, vakat, bang, half a day, jai, janendra, priviet, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace, how, go vegan, well, this is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, veganized and quarantined for your protection yeah no ch- no chance that you will get coronavirus by listening to this show by by us gathering together today in the smallest of crowds right uh we will have breaking news related to the impact on dogs in china because of the coronavirus we will be talking to Ping Lai from the World of Angels Foundation, also coming up later on the program, filmmaker Gene Blaylock, and we will catch up with Professor Gary Francione. We haven't haven't spoken with him in a while. And, uh, hey, would you drive eight hours for the best vegan pizza that you've ever had? Well, apparently I did. Uh, I mean, I thought I was going to the Natural Products Expo in Anaheim, But the 2020 version has been canceled because of the coronavirus. But luckily, there is the Vegan Pizza Restaurant. The restaurant is actually called Vegan Pizza, a mile away in Garden Grove. So it wasn't a total waste. So anyway, very interesting to uh, arrive in Anaheim and see the ghost town that it was there normally bustling with thousands and thousands of people but no not this year this year is the year of the coronavirus covid 19. Um, when i first heard about the coronavirus uh, i heard that it was associated with bat soup and i thought well bat soup what could that be oh perhaps that's the punishment uh, for the houston astros for uh, cheating all these years huh uh, but, uh, I guess it's just another one of those animal exploitation and eating diseases like swine flu, bird flu, and, uh, oh yeah, heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, all of those, uh, you know, um, and, you know, when you compare the numbers, I mean, any death is sad and regrettable, but, uh, I don't know. Just uh, so few people have died in the U.S. related to the coronavirus. Yet we're all wearing masks, right? Um, and, uh, you know, how many deaths are there every year from eating animals and uh, their secretions? You know, it's probably over a million every year. If you consider six, seven hundred thousand uh, deaths every year from cancer, six seven hundred thousand maybe eight hundred thousand from heart heart disease so um and remember uh, dr esselstyn dr caldwell esselstyn says nobody has to get heart disease it's all diet related so we have millions upon millions of deaths every year from eating animals and yet you don't see anybody wearing a mask into mcdonald's or uh you know mcdevil's murder king Wendy's kills jr Jack the Ripper in a box. Um, that's where you should be wearing a mask when, you know, when a hamburger or hot dog is near you, when there's bacon. That's 
put on a mask around meat and anyway so um, yeah and at first weren't they saying that the coronavirus they were associating it with the beer they were saying oh people are getting a, a virus from drinking corona um, but you know um, consider all the uh, alcohol deaths you know drinking corona and all other liquor probably way above the coronavirus at the moment but uh, anyway so um yeah i drove down eight hours eight hours from the bay area to southern california um only to find out that the natural products expo had been canceled and i went down a day early because there was climate day on that tuesday and so i wanted to attend climate day I even made up a flyer to hand out to all the people there, so many representatives from uh, industry, companies, associations related to the climate that I thought, well, let me head down early this year for Climate Day. Yeah, three dogs in the car. It was fun. It was fun. So I was going to hand out this... Um, well, actually, I was going to uh, attempt to organize, like, Climate Crisis Live Aid, you know, the, the concert that we need now, 35 years after Live Aid, um, when that concert was uh, organized to address famine in Ethiopia. Here we are 35 years after, climate, uh, after uh, Live Aid, 50 years after Woodstock, the Peace Festival, and so in in those great traditions i took it upon myself to uh organize climate crisis live aid the concert to save the planet and i even managed to reserve the los angeles coliseum believe it or not we were really working on it and working on some amazing artists to perform there and now Everything has to be canceled and postponed and delayed because of this coronavirus, the hysteria over it that, uh, well, I'm talking about it now. We'll talk about it on today's show. So we will uh, we'll be a part of that hysteria. And uh, so I, I did this flyer that I was going to hand out at the Natural Products Expo, and I would be happy to send you a copy via email. If you want one, just email me, bob at goveganradio.com, and I will send you the flyer that we, um, that we, organ that we uh, put together for, uh, for the concert that we wanted to have happen that now has to be postponed and delayed, like everything else, apparently, like uh, NBA like no no fans in attendance at NBA games or March Madness with the NCAA. I mean, it's uh, it's really pretty amazing, considering also how many people die from the flu every year. I mean, it could be up to uh, sixty thousand people dying from the flu, but we don't seem to uh, wear masks about that. It's only you know the new scary, the new scary one, the new scary one. So. This flyer, and Laura Tripp is such a great artist, I tell you. She put together the, the perfect logo for it and a great-looking flyer. 
And maybe, you know, this will give us more time to organize the kind of event that we need that, that uh, has to happen. Climate crisis, live aid, the concert to save the planet. Maybe you'll join with me. Maybe you'll be a sponsor. Maybe you'll help raise money. Um, oh, so anyway, this flyer that would have been handed out if there had been a Natural Products Expo this year. And by the way, I am making time available for free interviews, vegan companies, vegan product lines. Um, we can talk about what we missed by not seeing you at the Natural Products Expo because there was no Natural Products Expo. And could you imagine all the expense that people go to and putting together a booth and bringing food samples and personnel? I mean, I, I uh, was there you know, from a drive down from the Bay Area, but there were people arriving from all over the world, and the Natural Products Expo was just canceled right at the last minute. So I have this flyer. Uh, the headline on the flyer is, How Can a Concert Be Our Last Best Chance to Save Life on Earth? What is the food industry's responsibility? It says on this flyer here uh, that that I wrote. <laughs> um, at the historic Los Angeles Coliseum for a global musical celebration. Now, who knows where or when it will be. We had reserved the date in August, but you can't possibly sell tickets to a large event right now. You really can't plan, can't plan a major event. So... What did this flyer say about this uh, concert to save the planet? Anyway, so it says, Revealing the well-kept secret action that is the only solution for climate change, confirmed by top scientists at NASA, leading climate experts at the World Bank, environmental researchers at Oxford University, Nobel Prize-winning physicists, and a former U.S. Energy Secretary. It continues, this wonderful flyer, that I will gladly send you. Just email me and ask for it, bob at goveganradio.com. It says, We will reveal the climate expert's secret solution at Climate Crisis Live Aid, the concert to save the planet, so people around the world can take the um, only action that will, and now bullet points, the only action that will, bullet point one, reverse climate change. Bullet point two, remove billions of tons of carbon from the atmosphere annually. Bullet point three, return to pre-industrial carbon levels. Bullet point four, free land the size of the U.S., Britain, European Union, China, and Australia combined for reforestation and species recovery. Next bullet point, solve deforestation, resource depletion, water scarcity, pollution, desertification, acidification, eutrophication, and uh, habitat destruction. And then the last bullet point was uh, that uh, we would be revealing information that would and the current mass extinction. And talking about all the climate specialists on here, on the flyer it says, their solution is not 
an alternative energy infrastructure Green New Deal. It is not more miles per gallon, recycling, carbon taxes or trading, better light bulbs, uh, treaties or accords, marching against oil companies or future pipelines. On the flyer here, it says the experts say the only solution before it's too late is a massive human population shift to vegan. And then I went on to observe that, and remember this was being handed to the uh, natural products industry, the food industry, um, that was supposed to gather in Anaheim just days ago. It says, without the environment, there is nothing, no business, no commerce, no natural products, no products of any kind. Will you join us to save a very desperate Mother Earth? Become a sponsor, donor, or advertiser with Climate Crisis Live Aid, the concert to save the planet, and support our other educational projects, too. Um, what else did it say on the flyer here? In the great tradition of Woodstock, the Peace uh, Festival 50 years ago, and Live Aid 35 years ago, we will be building awareness, feeding the hungry, and planting trees with our musical celebration of solutions. And then at the bottom it said to get involved or to get into um, or to get info on the studies, research, and assessments uh, we use to base our claims, email. GoVeganRadio at gmail.com. GoVeganRadio is an educational 501c3 nonprofit producing special events and America's first mainstream media vegan talk show since 2001, which is exactly what you are hearing right now, <laughs> this very moment. So, okay, here I have... You can email Bob at GoVeganRadio.com or GoVeganRadio at gmail.com. And so there I was in the Anaheim area, three dogs in the park. And then I see an email. And the email said, oh, Climate Day is still happening. So I run back to uh, the motel to change into a more presentable attire. Um, and uh, then I run over to the Marriott, um, which is part of the whole convention center complex in Anaheim and it was a ghost town it was just a complete ghost town um, like I said except for all the people arriving from all over the world only to hear that it had just been canceled the people from Europe weren't too happy about it I wasn't too happy about it um, but then I went running around looking for what was supposed to still be happening with climate day and nothing was happening so um, I couldn't find anything related to to that. So I guess I'm going to have to contact all the people who are listed for Climate Day. Um, and uh, as I said, I'm, I'm offering free interviews to any uh, vegan company or vegan product line about its vegan products that were going to be exhibited at the Natural Products Expo. Um, you know, I also look at uh, so awful what's being sold to us 
as uh, solutions for the environment when there is only one solution. Have I mentioned that there's only one solution for climate change and all other environmental disaster? Have I mentioned that? Um, and yet, uh, well, you know, those who uh, exploit animals also always have to come up with something, you know, that they claim is sustainable or something to that effect. And, you know, they're talking about they're trying to sell the world on regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming, um, a lot of which is based on the work of the very unsavory Alan Savory, uh, who in his past life decided that a climate solution for the national parks uh, in uh, Africa to uh, to solve a problem of uh, de uh, desertification was to uh, shoot 40,000 elephants. That was the, and oh, and Savory says, oops, that didn't work. It was a mistake. So now we're entrusting all of agriculture to this guy who shot 40,000 elephants by mistake to try to save the environment. And from him, we get this regenerative agriculture. That's a nice word, regenerative. Probably um, veganic uh, would be more regenerative. How can using animals be make any sense for the environment at all? And it doesn't. You know, the studies have shown that uh, it's better for the environment to buy fruit that comes, you know, a vegan product, fruit, a pineapple, whatever, from across the world rather than local animal products. Um, so I see this article here um, from an agronomist at Washington State University, Andrew McGuire. It says, scientists are skeptical of regenerative agriculture's extraordinary claims. Um, and just briefly here it says, what is regenerative agriculture? And we will explore this subject in the weeks ahead to debunk what needs to be debunked here. But anyway, so the article says, what is uh, regenerative agriculture? Why is it different from so-called sustainable agriculture? And how do I reconcile what practitioners of this system are claiming with the scientific evidence? Uh... These were all, this is uh, agronomist uh, McGuire here talking. He says, um, I'm quoting him, these were all going through my mind when a couple of weeks ago at a meeting where we watched a YouTube video of Gabe Brown's TED Talk, TED uh, uh, Brown, uh, Brown Farms near Bismarck, North Dakota, and has become the American face of regenerative agriculture in the past decade. Here's what I learned. Brown states, we've done this without the use of any synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, or fungicides. We are to believe that uh, biodiversity-powered microbes free up large amounts of phosphorus fix large amounts of nitrogen from the air, while plants produce 31 tons of biomass uh, in a short North Dakota season, while also producing harvested crops and livestock. Uh, McGuire says, 
I cannot, I cannot say this uh, scenario is impossible, but I find it highly improbable because at this time, uh, 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 he says, uh, if this is true, then it means that science has missed an astounding, extraordinary process. Uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. What counts as evidence are peer-reviewed publications in scientific journals. I have looked for the evidence to support the claims of regenerative agriculture. What I, what I have found are lots of YouTube videos, testimonials, articles, and interviews. None of these sources is extraordinary evidence. So, uh, no evidence. We're just... Uh, you know, believing the claims of some guy who, fought, who you know, killed 40,000 elephants, shot 40,000 elephants. That was his environmental solution. Anyway, so, all right, I have this flyer. Now I'm going to have to contact all the participants directly. Wouldn't it be great if Go Vegan Radio had some volunteers to help with this? Well, here we are embracing the only solution for climate crisis and or climate crises and climate change and all the other environmental problems we face. You don't hear about this from environmental groups. You don't hear about this from animal, so-called animal rights groups at all. And we have the number, we have the only solution. Wouldn't that, shouldn't we make a big deal about that? Shouldn't we have a big uh, climate crisis live aid? The concert to save the planet? Um... So yeah, we need we need help. <laughs> we need help to save the planet. And isn't it amazing that once we have this information that we have the only solution, it's kind of a moral imperative. We have a moral obligation to help everyone learn about this uh, compared to regenerative uh, agriculture uh, based uh, in, in the past on, you know, somebody who killed 40,000 elephants. And then we give this guy a second chance? Can you believe that? Look at this guy's resume. Oh, you're coming to save, you're coming to save the climate and the planet. Uh, what, what's your past history? What's on your resume? Well, I accidentally shot 40,000 elephants. Oh, really? Well, we'll, we'll forgive you. We'll, we'll believe your, that, that animal grazing, as you now have it outlined, will be the solution. Animal grazing, the solution for climate change. Have you ever heard of anything more ridiculous? <sighs> anyway. Uh, thanks to my good friend Michelle for sending me some of those uh, medical masks. Uh, the, I've never worn, the, worn those you know, medical face masks that you see people wearing all over the place now. Um, and I found it terribly uncomfortable. The, every breath I took fogged my glasses. And, uh, I don't know, but as a uh, part of my, uh, my life's chores, I do take care of an 85 year old, uh, very physically disabled woman who, uh, at times is in a nursing home. She is now. So I have to visit a nursing home. So I'm, and, and they, they screen me now when they go over there, I had the mask on, they said, uh, are you sick? You're, you're, you're wearing a mask. I said, no, I don't really want to get sick. Um, 
anyway, it just feels strange wearing one of those masks. Uh, um, when I opened up the package, it said, uh, not suitable for bank robberies, by the way. Uh, isn't that amazing? <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It would be tempting anyway, right? Um, I put one on my face. And I don't know if it's just a sign of paranoia. Um, really not. I don't know. I, I don't seem to have any fear of this uh, coronavirus myself. And yet, you know, I've been doing this show now 19 years. I started the show when I was a mere child. And now I'm practically, am I in the age group that's at risk for coronavirus? Maybe, maybe I should take uh, wearing that mask more seriously. Um, but then again, like like I said, look look at all. I mean, has anybody in your family been affected by coronavirus? Probably not. Um, has anybody in your family been affected by heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes? I'm telling you, where when it, when you're around meat, that's put the mask on. Especially keep it tight over your mouth. When you're around meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, and uh, that that will be better for your health than worrying about the coronavirus, I believe. And uh, the dog still recognized me when I had the mask on, though. So uh, nope, no mask is going to fool them. Um, and uh, let's see here. Um, <laughs> And then we go back to what, uh, you know, what we said. And, and we're going to talk more about the coronavirus with somebody who's from China. Uh, we will be talking in just a little bit with Yi Ping Lai from the World of Angels Foundation. And, of course, whenever there's some sort of catastrophe for humans, there's going to be some, there will be complications for animals. And uh, there's a tremendous impact now, the coronavirus having a tremendous impact on the dogs in China. So, um, and then I think uh, when I was uh, visiting the woman for whom I care at the nursing home, a little factoid came on the TV that said, no, you can't get coronavirus from your dog. Uh, but may I recommend the bat soup? Um, that, uh, you know, I said, it's uh, so weird. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, bat soup is as repulsive as what chicken soup or you know, little little uh, decomposing body parts in a puddle of hot water. Very delicious soup, I'm sure. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I passed by somebody in the supermarket. She was talking about uh, oh, making meatball soup for dinner that night. You know, which kind of makes me gag as, as much as bat soup would make me uh, make me want to gab, gag, or gab. Apparently, I'm gabbing a lot about bat soup while I'm gagging about bat soup. So anyway, <sighs> so how many non-vegans are walking around thinking that they are awakened? Or awoke, or whatever. Um, yet the brain control is just so deep that they continue to have the Wall Street-backed corporate diet of death, disease, and destruction shoved down their throats 
everybody, you know, awakened and enlightened and still brain controlled to eat what is so totally repulsive, whether that be uh, cow, pig, chicken, rabbit, dog, cat, bat. Um, all right. Uh, and uh, there are animal rights activists who are interrupting political rallies, I see. Um, and they're saying, let dairy die. Um, just my, going to make my political observations right here. I would think that uh, when uh, disrupting one of the more progressive uh, political rallies, you know, they they interrupt uh, Bernie, they're interrupt Boiny, Boiny. Um, I don't know why, I mean, just to say let dairy die, I don't know, I, I you know, direct action everywhere, I mean, I, I wish that they would have a more uh, vegan uh, direct action approach to things, I mean, let dairy die, could you say, could you at least say let dairy die, go vegan, or if you're at a progressive uh, rally, if you're interrupting Boiny, 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 Boiny. How many years has he not lived in New York, but he still has that New York accent? I'm from Manhattan, the Bronx, and Queens. But I learned that I could put R's where they belong and take R's away from where they don't belong. Boiny's against war. He's against the war. He voted against the war. <laughs> Anyway, so I, may I just suggest to the uh, activists who disrupt uh, political rallies, how about saying dairy is rape, huh? I mean, so progressives, after all, actually everybody should be against rape, all rape, right? Um, you know, female issues are paramount among amongst today's left. And uh, so... Uh, you know, all dairy starts with rape. Shouldn't we all be against rape? Dairy is rape. Go vegan. Um, and the dairy industry, you know, when it does its artificial insemination, when it rapes the cow, mother cow, um, it, it, it it's on a device called a rape rack. That's what the dairy industry calls it, a rape rack. All dairy is uh, the product of rape. And... Uh, and then may I recommend to those uh, activists who are disrupting the more conservative uh, political rallies. Um, and of course, uh, conservatives are against killing babies. How about dairy kills babies? Go vegan. Dairy kills babies. And of course, dairy does kill babies. Um, dairy being the product of rape, then when the baby is born, well, you have to have that dairy to put on your cereal, right? So the milk to put on your cereal. So the little baby cow is taken from his uh, wailing mother. They're crying for each other. Uh, and he becomes veal, or he's fattened up to become beef. So dairy kills babies. And then eventually dairy kill, will kill, you know, I don't know if they'll be human babies, but yeah, the dairy protein identified by Dr. T. Colin Campbell as the number one carcinogen 
to which Americans are exposed. So, you know, dairy kills everyone. And uh, how wonderful it was that Joaquin Phoenix, when he won the Academy Award for Best Actor for The Joker, congratulations, Joaquin. And uh, he made an impassioned uh, talk against dairy, which was totally appropriate and wonderful for him to do. So that was great. Thank you, Joaquin Phoenix, for speaking out for the animals, uh, especially when you were right there in the spotlight. And there's a lesson for all the young uh, actors and actresses that uh, if you want to grow up and, uh, you know, be like Joaquin Phoenix and win the Academy Award, um, go vegan. Be like Joaquin Phoenix. Go vegan. And speak out against dairy and meat and fish and eggs, which are more likely to kill you than the coronavirus. So, anyway. There you have it. Um, well, I guess that uh, that's about it for uh, me right now. Um, in terms of an opening monologue. <laughs> and... Uh, as I mentioned, coming up on today's program, we will talk to E. Ping Lai from the World of Angels Foundation regarding the plight of dogs in China because of the coronavirus. And we will talk to filmmaker Jean Blaylock. And we'll catch up with Professor Gary Francione. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. America's first vegan talk show since 2001. Uh, we are at GoVeganRadio.com, on Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, Twitter at Go Vegan Radio. Please support us with a tax-deductible donation so that we can educate the world about the plight of animals and how to save the environment and your health. Go to GoVeganRadio.com and please make a tax-deductible donation there. Thank you. Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, Twitter at Go Vegan Radio, and um, coming up in uh, just a bit, we're going to talk uh, about really how good vegan dogs have it in the U.S. Um, it was just a study uh, on uh, dogs on a vegan diet, and things are looking pretty good, so uh, I'll talk to you about that a little bit uh, later in the program. Also, uh, we'll be talking to Jean Blaylock, vegan filmmaker, and we'll catch up with Professor Gary Francione. But we have uh, breaking news. Uh, it seems like uh, the coronavirus uh, hysteria is everywhere, 
uh, including now on this show. Now we're talking about it too. I can't believe it. And you know what's what's amazing to me is, well, um, for example, the Centers for Disease Control uh, estimate that um, annually since 2010, the flu, that's influenza, has resulted in nine million to 45 million illnesses in the U.S., 140,000 to 810, uh, 816,000 hospitalizations, and 12,000 to 61,000 deaths every year from the flu. And uh, if, if we're looking at what's going on with the coronavirus, coronavirus hysteria. And, oh, and it, the, disease, the, the disease has an official name now from the World Health Organization. It's COVID-19, as in uh, coronavirus um, disease, COVID-19. So far, it looks like there have been 500 cases uh, in the U.S., maybe a few more since uh, what I see reported here, 500 cases and 22 deaths. Um, and yet that is enough. It has me wearing a mask over my face. Um, I, I went down with uh, three dogs to the Natural Products Expo. We took an eight-hour drive from Northern California to Southern California only to find that the Natural Products Expo was canceled this year because of the uh, coronavirus hysteria. And um, also, really, when you consider it, every year in the U.S., the, about the number of uh, cancer deaths, over 600,000, um, heart disease deaths, over 600,000, like uh, well over a million deaths each year. And how many of those cancer deaths and heart uh, disease deaths can be attributed to eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs? Well, T. Colin Campbell of the China study said that uh, 90% of fatal degenerative uh, disease in the U.S. is uh, caused by animal protein and not much of it. So w why aren't we wearing a mask over our face when we go to McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's or Kills Jr.? Or what? But, you know, here we are, and uh, apparently things are pretty serious in China, uh, related to this, and as you know, whenever there's a human crisis, there doesn't seem to be an, an animal crisis, uh, there, there seems to be an animal crisis that's not far behind. So today, we are going to talk to Yi Ping Lai of the World of Angels Foundation, and um, thank you for joining us today, Yi Ping Lai. It's breaking news on the coronavirus, and uh, apparently... Uh, um, a hard situation for dogs in China in the aftermath of, uh, of this disease, uh, which is going on right now. Thank you, Bob, for having me. Thank you for being with us. Yeah. So, um, so your um, organization is uh, involved with uh, uh, really uh, rescuing the homeless dogs in the aftermath of the uh, uh, the. COVID-19 outbreak there. So what's the problem? What's going on? Yeah, so uh, so our organization, our mission is to end dog crisis in China. We fund and support local 
centuries. Um, when coronavirus happened in late January, suddenly uh, there is an emergency uh, in, uh, for us that uh, we learned that, uh, you know, when the disease got public notice, it's almost the same time when the government decided to shut down the epic center city of this disease called Wuhan. And that was on January 23rd. Um, and then that was the day before Chinese New Eve. Uh, a week prior to that, every year, uh, China has hundreds of millions of people travel, going to their hometown to you know, reunite with their families to celebrate the holidays. And a lot of them have left their dogs and cats and other pets home for you know, one week, two weeks, or maybe even one month. And when the uh, lockdown happened, these people cannot come back. So their dogs and cats and fish, turtle, pigs, their home pets uh, are out of food and water. Yeah. So and, are you uh, saying that, that people, though, that what they, they travel for the Chinese New Year, they, they just leave the, their animals uh, back home and, right. and like nobody's yeah. watching them? They're not... Right. This is first time for me to learn that it's such a large scale that, that people leave their dogs at home or cats at home alone um, because the boarding is very expensive during the holiday time. And uh, China is, a you know, people work usually away from their hometown, so they don't get to go home until this Chinese New Year, usually the country shut down. A lot of manufacturing uh, facilities shut down for a whole month. Hmm. Well, that, uh, that, that, yeah. Doesn't that set up a tragedy every year? I mean, how, do, do people well, expect yeah, to go yeah, home yeah. and find their animals there still? But, so, yeah, yeah. So here that goes that every year during the before the Chinese New Year, like uh, 10 days before, we see the highest abandon rate of pets because people decide just let them go and when they come back they can get another one because they don't want to pay the money for boarding and then some people choose to leave them home alone leave some water and food for them wow yeah so it's a it's a bad time when it's you know it's a holiday it's a bad time for pets and then plus it's winter time it's so cold 60 percent of the animals don't make it out there um, so when Corona happened, a lot of people, like in Wuhan alone, it is estimated 50,000 pets are stranded home alone. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So that's a hard to swallow. So, so it's but, a tragedy every year, even without the virus. I mean, they're just mm -hmm. they're just leaving and going on vacation or going visiting for the Chinese New Year, and the the dogs and cats and other animals are left to fend for themselves maybe they've left them some food to last for a while but and then yeah. it's also cold you're saying so yeah uh, yeah so they abandon a lot of them um and it's winter so it you know it's not very it's not likely most of them will die it's not likely they can make it through the winter especially the ones being living home suddenly in the cold really really cold there mm. freezing um weather uh, so that, when that's so sad. I, 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 it's hard for me oh, to imagine yeah. that people would like. I 
I had to take, I couldn't find anybody to watch. Like Daisy goes with me everywhere, you know, my wonderful little vegan chihuahua. And then uh, there are uh, two other dogs in my house, but, you know, I, I couldn't find the regular people to watch them. So they all came down in the car with me to, to Southern California. Um, yeah, I heard that. I heard yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I had somebody to watch them down there. And now I'm yeah. going to tell them, like, you know, don't complain. Like, you, you don't have it. As bad as bad with this virus situation as the dogs in China right now. But I have to yeah. I have to tell Tootsie and Susie to stop complaining. They don't have it so bad. They, yeah, they have it good. <laughs> they have it good. But I would never consider just leaving them. You know, for the week that I would be away. You know what I mean? Right, I, right. Yeah. They're like your children. How could you right. leave your children behind? Right. Right. Um, right, right. So, so uh, why wouldn't they be like the children of? people in China who, who would go on vacation. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Isn't there that connection also with them? I mean, well, I mean, it's a long historically in China. Um, we don't have this pet concept until mid nineties because during Mao, you know, Chairman Mao's time from 1949 to late 1970s, uh, having pets is like, uh, you know, bourgeoisie luxury and it's shunned upon like, we're not allowed to have a dog or cat um, in the city. But in the countryside, people do historically have dogs uh, as a, you know, gate watcher to fend for the family properties. And so they chain the dog outdoor, 724, and that's the custom. Um, you know, so people don't regard them as family. So the, in the mid nineties, suddenly you know it's a Western influence. They say, "Oh, you know, pets are cute." So the new generation would like to have pets, but they really don't know much about pets. Um, there's not, not much education, and there's no humane society, a big organization or shelters to taking dogs when people don't want them. So they just leave them by the curbside. Oh wow! And then before. Um they were considered to be in, in the 90s when they became companion animals. There were, I assume, okay. a lot of homeless dogs, stray dogs everywhere. I mean, wouldn't that be? Oh, yeah, yeah. 60 million, 60 million homeless dogs. And they multiply by 1.5 times each year. And the government has no funding or uh, no uh, systematic way of humanely control the population. So there's no uh, spaying, neutering, uh, anything like that going on? No, no, yeah, no, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of animal lovers in China these days now. Like I said, historically, dogs are not treated as family. They treated as a, a tool, you know. And actually, animal, the literal translation of Chinese means moving object. You know, animal exists to serve us, feed us, close us, and uh, entertain us. Mm. Well, there's that attitude all over the world, including in the U.S., unfortunately, that a lot of people just do see them as property and, you know, for whatever use, uh, yeah. food, clothing, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, right. It's kind of sad. So, uh, yeah. And then we, we also at times hear about... Um, dogs being eaten in china uh, dogs being yeah. food which uh yeah. of course sounds as crazy to me as uh eating chickens and cows and pigs or rabbits goats sheep 
you know. I mean, uh, I I don't consider um, animals to be food at all. And a lot of people get upset here in the U.S. while they're going to have, you know, their hamburger or their chicken wings or whatever, you know. So, um, but what what about uh, doggy eating in China? Is that yeah widespread or uh, well no it's well it's not again so uh 10 million dogs get slaughtered for their meat and 4 million cats mm -hmm. that's a lot and uh but actually only 20 percent of the population has a tradition of eating you know dog or cat meat regularly and they are concentrated in uh five provinces in china um and winter time is a high season for the animal meat because they feel like it's good. It warm your blood for the cold weather. Um, mm. So, and, and wasn't there something about uh, I don't know what how they treat the animals before they eat them to make them either? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it, it's believed that if you you know when you kill them, when you slaughter them by torturing them, the meat will taste better, tender, and also it's better for your health. Better for your health to torture them. So yeah, because of that, they have the yeah, I don't know your viewers have a stomach for it, but uh, because of that, they invented all sort of unimaginable ways of torturing them. And and what's amazing is that it really is uh, unimaginable. I mean, it's like just it is you know exactly. that someone would think like oh the the animals would taste better and be healthier if they're tortured first. I mean, I I can't understand that thinking at all. You know, it's like uh, very, very bizarre. Yeah. Well, again, it came from a historical view of animals. They are not seen as sentient beings. They don't have feelings. They don't have, they don't have pain. You know, they they serve to serve us. You know, they exist to serve us. So. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, we, you know, that's that's what we think here in the U.S. I. Uh, you know, when I, when I was in college, I, you know, when I first came on this path toward being vegan, um, uh -huh. I, uh, you know, I was 19 years old and my friends came over to my house every, we were at Queens College in New York City every Friday night and I made, you know, a, a chicken dish every, every week and, um, you know, one, one Friday night I just looked down at the pan and I, I saw somebody's body. I said, wait, this is somebody's body who, who didn't volunteer to jump into the frying pan. And, and at that time, I thought that animals knew it was their place to be used. You know, they, they knew it was their purpose to be eaten or, or their fur or skin or feathers to be worn. And, uh, you know, then I thought, well, I don't think the chicken really volunteered to jump in into the frying pan really so you know my concept of uh you know what what we think on behalf of animals you know without considering their pain or emotions and uh you know it's uh we we, we have a long way to go i think in our uh, evolution humans if if, <laughs> if 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 we make it past this mass extinction which uh you know it doesn't mean we're going to survive the mass extinction going on now either necessarily you know so um but, well one but, day at a time bob you know one day at a time and uh, it is my dream that in my lifetime i hope to see that uh, china banned dog meat and cat meat 
uh, and then they uh, enact uh, animal protection law. There is no companion animal law in China. Well, if we're going to ban dog meat and cat meat, let's go all the way with uh, cows and chickens and pigs and all, all other animals, too. So let's uh, include them there. But um, is there a vegan movement in China now? I mean, uh yeah, it is starting to, uh, you know, under the Western influence, actually, uh, it, it is starting to um, getting there. Um, as I said earlier um, during our conversation before this recording, that um, there's 5% of uh, vegan population in China, which equals to 50 million people. Wow. That's like a size of a European country. Yeah, yeah. Like in Italy, something. Yeah. That's incredible. That's uh, yeah. Oh, some some good news. You you've turned my frown upside down with. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> like I said, one day at a time. However slow it is, it's moving that direction. Uh, and the good news is, they, these are the young generation. The um, you know, teenagers and millennials. They are the ones. I think it's a parallel to U.S. Uh, demographic for vegans. Right. Well, yeah. I think the the study here was that uh, uh, the U.S. population, I think it was from, what was it, from 2014 to 2017, the vegan population went from 1% to 6%, and well, 2017 mm. is now three years ago, and even that, in, in the U.S., if we're considering 6, 7, 8% of the population being vegan, we're getting up to 15, 18 million uh, ourselves here. I, I, uh, wait, are we? Wait, are we doing the math right? So yeah, yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm thinking you're talking about a country. So China's population is uh, is what? What would you say one, the total population is? One point four billion. One point four billion. So yeah. Uh, uh, so then uh, five percent uh, would be. Uh, I the what the number I got is from fifty million. Fifty million. Fifty million. Five percent. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh let's let's keep that going and keep that growing too. That that's so Yeah. That's and so also I, I during my research I find out the uh vegan market has grown seventeen percent from two thousand fifteen uh to two thousand nineteen, just in four years. And uh, are are you from China yourself, or what's? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am from China. I came here thirty years ago. Ah, okay. And then, and you're vegan. Um, yeah, I I become a vegan after I had a dog seven years ago, and uh, you know, before long after I had her, I you know fell in love and with her, I adored her. And before long, I, when I see an animal, if I mean, if I cook meat, I just feel like I'm eating my dog. Right, exactly. Does <laughs> well that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. then I then I was also taking yoga class with this teacher, and he is a vegan, and he has shared a lot with me about the animal cruelty. You know, I was never a big meat eater anyway, growing up from China. You know, in my generation we grew up empty stomach hungry most of the time so meat is a delicacy we don't have access to um so i'm never a big meat eater but then you know when i had a dog i can't tolerate meat and obviously like eating her 
And then the vegan te- the, the yoga teacher has shared a lot of the cruelty of uh, farming mm-hmm. animals. And, I just, and then to, to feed so many people, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to to eat animals, you know, to, to eat meat and dairy or eggs or just because uh, the resources aren't there, the the land, the uh, the water. I mean, it's just not environmentally yeah. sustainable yeah. Or, or practical. So, um, so you grew up in China, and so you were you were hungry a lot of the time. Is that what you said? Was yeah, the- yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, prior to seventeen year old, uh, I, we don't have the food like all you want to eat. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think my vegan journey started with my body don't tolerate animal protein very well, so I don't like the meat very well. And so I do believe I'm better off health-wise not eating meat. Then because I had a dog, so I cared about, started to care about other dogs and other animals. So I and, decided and we're, we're herbivores anyway, that humans are herbivores. Uh, so uh, yeah. it makes total sense that uh, your body doesn't tolerate uh meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, or or we wouldn't have all the, you know, the heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, uh, all the food poisonings. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I'm i vegan now for 36 years, so I've come to the conclusion right. that yeah. everything that's wrong on the planet really stems from eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. There's disease, world hunger, um, climate change, all the other environmental problems that we face are all... Uh, because uh, people, for some reason, have gotten misled into this strange, wrongful diet that's really just just not right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, the environmental thing is the last thing you know during my journey, and then from there, you know, become me. I become an activist. Like I'm more involved. That's how I set up my own nonprofit organization to save the dogs in China because the situation there is so dire. They definitely could use some mm, help from the international community. Mm-hmm. So, um, and now the uh, situation for dogs, which sounded pretty bad just because of Chinese New Year, but it's more complicated uh, because of the coronavirus, too. Yeah, compounded by coronavirus uh, because people are scared. They think that their dog or cat may also catch the virus and spread it to them. So that caused another wave of abandonment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because these people are panicking, abandoning the dog because for fear of coronavirus, then some local government and police will go out there to kill these homeless dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. So, um, and... So are are you talking or communicating with people back in China regularly still? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we so, so we sponsor six centuries with 1300 dogs and cats together and uh, so they're all in quarantine right now. Uh, so our daily challenging is to make sure that we can get enough kibbles and food like rice and stuff for our vegetables for our dogs every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we are planning for, you know, emergency rescue once the quarantine is over, like we are racing with the police <laughs> to save the dog. Plus they are probably dying also from having no 
food at all because all the restaurants, all the establishment are closed and there's no food traffic anymore. So they don't even have scrape of uh, food from the trash can. Ah, wow. That's so terrible. So, um, so uh, how did this start, though? So uh, just going back to the, uh, as you see it there, connected with people back in China. So um, wh what was the start of the coronavirus? Like where, like oh. when I first heard about it, I heard something about bat soup. That's what the, the, the first thing I heard oh, about coronavirus. Oh, from the bat soup. From, yeah, bat soup. Um, so th there are like wet markets. It's kind of like a farmer's market. Uh, that they sell, you know, fresh produce, uh, but also some livestock like chicken, they will slaughter the chicken or rabbit their life. And you go by and sometimes, you know, with cats and dogs. Um, but then they, they also sell some exotic wild animals like bats, uh, monkeys, uh, even baby wolves, I heard. And some some exotic sea creatures that I don't even know the name of. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there are all live animals in a very cramped, crowded area without much, uh, you know, any um, sanitation standard in place. Mm -hmm. So the virus flew from, you know, the animal to human there. And that's how it spread. Mm. And again, people hear bat soup and they may go, you know, how disgusting, but... Uh, yeah, it's about as disgusting as chicken soup, you know, or meatball soup or, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I don't know. Maybe it's being vegan for 36 years, but uh, an animal's dead body in a puddle of hot water just doesn't sound appetizing to me. Uh, bat soup uh, or chicken soup, uh, you know, so. Um, and it seems like all of these diseases, these bird flu, the swine flu, now the coronavirus, uh -huh. they, they all seem to come from um, the exploitation and, and eating of animals, those uh, industries yeah. or those markets. Uh, and, and, and here we have this case. And so, um, how, so how was it first discovered? So what, what, what happened to, like, obviously somebody said, like yeah, I mean, how how did it emerge from? You say it goes to oh, those live markets, those live yes. animal markets. So I guess the first case happened in December two thousand nineteen. You know, they have a few cases, and uh, I you know there's a whistleblower doctor that shared this information with his friend in December, but then it went viral, and then he got into trouble. For he 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 was questioned by the police. They wanted him to apologize, and there's a record of his file that he uh, he was spreading rumor. So the government tried at first to hush. There's nothing there, and then uh, it, then they still have big time event of uh, celebrating Chinese New Year, kind of a big event. Like they have a hundred thousand people get together for a banquet the week before they shut down the city. So you can imagine how uh, bad that is. So as uh, this disease um, is spread to like a one to three person, that kind of ratio. So and and it spread very fast. And then there are some people could have no symptoms. That's the scary part. Mm -hmm. That the you know and so the medical system didn't was not able to catch up with the demand. People there is.
isn't enough testing kit to test people. And uh, there's no hospital bed. Uh, and so, then the so mask. you're saying that immediately just lots of people just started getting sick? Uh, like Very quickly. Yeah, they, they, they start to have flu-like uh, symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then, then very quickly, it become acute uh, respiratory um, kind of a symptom, kidney failure, and then they die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, this disease has wiped out some dust, the whole family. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I mean, from what I'm hearing here uh, with cases that are in the U.S. and elsewhere, uh, would be that sometimes the symptoms are mild, like a bad cold. Um, mm-hmm. they, they say that uh, it's uh, more dangerous for the elderly. Although yeah. I think I think back with the swine flu, didn't they say young people were more at risk? But so the the elderly are at risk here. So I, um, you know, uh, I, I won't say it's a hobby, but part of what I do, I, I, I I've taken care of. Uh, uh, physically handicapped uh, 85 year old woman for quite a while and now she's um, in a convalescent home and I, I go visit her so I, I wore a mask there um, mm-hmm. and also they're doing a screening right at the door uh, uh-huh. related to this uh, to, to the coronavirus uh, so they, they took my temperature at the door they asked me if I had traveled uh, to a foreign country recently, if I've been in contact with people who've been to a foreign country. And again, I don't know, why, why don't they do this with influenza that's, you know, killing <laughs> tens of thousands of people all the time? Or, you know, shouldn't they be saying like, you know, you're not smuggling a, a hot dog or a hamburger in here, are you? That kills millions of people. I, I don't know. I just, I guess people's priorities and what... What creates hysteria is uh, fascinating to me. You know? Well, I think there is no um, clear path to cure these people for this new virus. It's totally foreign to us all, and there's no vaccination, no medicine for it, and the death rate compared to flu is very high. And also, just since I'm uh, talking about... Uh, comparisons to other diseases i mean really in in the u.s so uh the uh, again the cdc the centers for disease control um estimates that each year uh, roughly one in six americans or 48 million people uh gets uh, sick 128,000 are hospitalized and 3,000 die of foodborne diseases and again those are ma- mainly connected to meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. So, um, you know, I, I, have you heard updated numbers uh, on uh, the effects of the coronavirus in the U.S.? Yeah. Uh, yeah, in the U.S., it's in three digits, you know, in hundreds, 500, like you said earlier at the show. But in China, you know, we, within a month, it's 80,000 people infected, 3,000 people got killed. This is, you know after they shut down the whole country for a whole month. When I say shut down, it's really shut down, meaning no school, no business, oh, and everyone are ordered to stay home. And uh, they only allow one person from one family to come out to buy food every two days for two hours. Wow. Huh. It's like that serious. 
It's like a real lockdown. It's like uh, it is a really, really lockdown. And you know how people live in the high rise uh, apartment complex. Usually they are like thirty story tall buildings, and it's really hard not to come out for a whole month. And um, yeah, and still right now, some cities have allowed some business to go back uh, to open their business. You know, some of I, I do business with China. I import products from China. I, I like my manufacturer. They just begin to start this week, mm-hmm. but slowly because some workers didn't want to come back. It's like it's not safe to come back. You know, during travel, can you imagine in bullet train with a lot of people? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I I was going to this huge food trade show in Anaheim at the Anaheim Convention Center and. Uh, I was shocked that it was canceled. And also, I've been trying to work on um, some concerts. Like, I, I feel like uh, we, we, we need, well, what I really want to work on is uh, Climate Crisis Live Aid, the concert to save the planet. Um, mm-hmm. And right now, people are pretty shy about planning events that might have large crowds, you know? So, yeah. Everything kind of stopped right now. Yeah, every, everything came to an abrupt halt, uh, and including yeah. my life. You know what I mean? It's like to me, it's like, oh, it's off in a distance in China, and yet somebody just sent me a bunch of medical masks, which I wear when I go to the convalescent home to to visit the uh, person yeah. for whom I care. And uh, little did I know, like how I would be affected. They they shut down the, the, the Natural Products Expo and uh, I'm uh, I'm having to reconsider the the timing of putting a concert together. So uh, it's amazing how uh, and I, I wonder why this caught the world's attention and, you know, the, the, the flu hasn't. And also, if we talk about how many cases of the flu there are and how many deaths, which there are many, uh, I think the indications are pretty strong that vaccines may not be efficient. You know, I mean, they're uh, uh, I'm, I'm not really. Oh, well, the cure, the, the go vegan. <laughs> the the cure is to go vegan, right? I mean, that that is the cure. Yeah. So. <laughs> if you can convince people, you know, because um in, because in China, I'm talking in China, most people think um, not eating animal uh, product is, uh, the diet is not good. Uh, I've been told many times by my families and friends that, you know, it's not right. It's not good for you right. when you go vegan. Yeah, everybody, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's heard that. I, um, In fact, back when I, you know, 19 years old in college there, looking down at the chicken, I... And that one night I said, um, I don't think I could eat animals anymore. And at the time I thought, well, this could be detrimental to my health, that maybe it's not going to be good for me. But, you know, for my, you know, to live with myself, you know, I couldn't participate in the violence and killing of animals anymore. So I just shrugged my shoulders and said, well, if this is detrimental to my health, I guess that'll be the case. Little did I know you know, I, pr- I probably wouldn't be alive today if I hadn't gone vegan uh, 36 years ago. You know, we, we all thought that, 
oh, heart disease runs in the family. Oh, you know, my father died of a heart attack when he was 47. All his brothers and sisters had heart disease. But they were all eating the same thing. They were all eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. And so, you know, it's uh, all related to the diet. Little did we know um, from all the studies today seem to tell us that, uh, well, look at Dr. Esselstyn says nobody has to have heart disease. It's all really caused by diet. Uh, going vegan has been shown to be uh, the only way to reverse a number of uh, deadly diseases. So um, animal protein is deadly. But, you know, we're brainwashed. We're all, you know, all brainwashed. They say, well, how do you get your protein? And you think, like, you have to worry about getting animal protein. And then uh, the book comes out, the, the China study, and it says animal protein is deadly, that it you know, the dairy protein is the number one carcinogen to which Americans are exposed. And, um, you know, it doesn't take much animal protein to really trigger cancer in us. So, um, but uh, what, what, wouldn't we find that to be the case? Also, like uh, the condition of health of people in China who eat uh -huh. dairy, fish and eggs. Are, w w did you... Uh, did you read the China study? Have you looked at the China study? No. Well, is the China study done when? Now or no, like? It was, it was a few years ago. Uh, oh. So it was a study from uh, T. Colin Campbell, and it was the uh, largest study of diet and health, uh, the most comprehensive study ever up until that point. And uh, apparently a lot of it was done in China for it to be called the China study. So, so what well, I would say, like... Um, Traditionally, well, like when I was growing up in China, like I told you, we grow up most times, you know, empty stomach. Um, we hardly have any meat at all, or no, and no sugar, you know, oil, all that stuff. So we eat plainly rice with cabbages, you know, or different kind of vegetables a lot. Mm -hmm. That's like our staples every day. Um, so back then, what? Back then, people were healthier. Now in China, there is a problem. The diabetes population in China is extremely high. One, I just read it today, one in three children has diabetes in China. Mm. They may not look that overweight, but, but they, ha they have this thing called skinny fat. Mm -hmm. Like they don't appear to be 200 pounds, but their, their organs are you know, loaded with fat. Right, as, as uh, with uh, with more wealth comes uh, more of the Western diet, right? Right, right, because they say, oh, the meat is good for you, and so they they start to eat more, you know. Because uh, I, I I notice like my generation when we are in twenties, you notice very few overweight people, but now the people born after the eighties, they are grown, they grow up with plenty of food, a lot of meat and milk, milk. They, they believe milk is so good for children. So, so these kids are really, uh, yeah, I've seen overweight young people. And yet still somehow 50 million people in China have gone vegan. Um, yeah. So do you think it's that uh, my, my radio show has been translated into Chinese over the years? <laughs> can, I, <laughs> can I take credit for... Uh, for the no, revolution, we need for the real revolution in China, right?
I, I think there is so much, uh, you know, education you can do for the people who are interested in to become a vegan. Because I was thinking before the show, I was thinking to myself, if I live in China right now, I want to go vegan. I don't have the knowledge of uh, what do I need to do for protein. Um, you know, if I just eat rice and vegetable, that's not enough. Um, you know, like the concept of having beans, seeds, and nuts every day in your diet, it's, there is no such a widespread knowledge about that. Well, how about, how about soybeans and tofu? Are they widespread? So, yeah, but you cannot eat tofu every day, right? Tofu is common, yes. I, I, I sometimes eat tofu every day. I don't know. So, I, I, I do do that because it's so easy. It takes two right. minutes. Uh, yeah, 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 I do eat that. Throw it in anything, whatever you're making. Yeah. Just put some tofu in, and uh, yeah. But, so, but it sounds like they were a lot better off with just the rice and vegetables without the meat added into it. You know, so. Uh huh. Um, right. Yeah, and, and it's hard, like for family style uh, dinner in China, is everyone share the dishes, right? You don't order your own dish when you go to a restaurant eat or. You know, so, it, and then when I travel to China for business and even I order a vegetable, I realize that uh, the vegetables are cooked in lard. Uh, mm. Yeah, and it, it does make me sick because it's so oily, so, so, so oily. So now I got to a point, I bring my protein shake and nuts and seeds and oatmeal. I just mix it with water and eat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um do you travel to China frequently then? You go back to... Uh, not not so often. No, not with the century work. I plan to go in April, but now I couldn't. So I usually go once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, are uh, vegan restaurants uh, popping up uh, for the 50 million people? Who yeah, yeah. Actually, uh-huh. Yes, yes. They, they actually are starting to have vegan restaurant um, chain stores in like a more bigger scale, not uh, just one or two here and there randomly individual ones, but not uh, bigger scale ones. Again, I, I think it's so amazing that uh, there would be 50 million vegans uh, in China. That's great. Uh, I'm trying to do the math. 1.4 billion. Uh, you say it's 5%. So Ten percent uh-huh. of one point four billion. Uh, I went to a math and science high school, but apparently my brain is frozen. On I was just trying to figure out. Uh, if yeah, if you use fourteen, one point four billion for five percent, it's kind of like seventy million here. But the information I read on Google it says fifty million. So you know the the baseline. They just recently become. So, so, uh, so I was looking at the math problem. I was I was right to be perplexed, right? Because I didn't come out with fifty million. I thought so. More of the appropriate number, right? So, with the, yeah, with the total population being just recently published, mm-hmm. that they become one point four billion. Yeah. Okay, so that's a, a lot okay. of vegans. I I, I should start. Uh, Start putting out some vegan uh, food uh, and uh, ship it off to China. There are 50 million people who are vegans. That's great. So, and uh, of course, uh, 
they're going to influence, all the vegans are going to influence uh, others there. I mean, we really uh, ecologically can't afford for people to be eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. I mean, we are told uh, related to climate change by the world's top climate specialists that the only solution is to uh, go vegan. We need a population shift to vegan. And uh, China seems well on its way. And, uh, and, and it's happening all over the world, throughout uh, Europe and everywhere. It's, uh, people are yeah. going to be vegan because it's, uh, it's really the, the right thing to do. I think, okay, uh, you know, maybe in at certain point it will accelerate this right. population. Right. Well, it, it seems yeah. to be accelerating now. I mean, if if that study in the U.S. said that it went from one percent to six percent in three years, I mean that's a massive acceleration. And again, um, I want my uh, radio show to take credit for that since we've been on air <laughs> since two thousand one. Um, and so I, I should uh, say that today we are talking to uh, Yi Ping Lai. She's with the World of Angels Foundation. And so tell us what you're trying to do for the. It sounds like such a monumental task uh, to help the dogs in China with what they're facing. So what are you what are you trying to do and what help do you need? What how, how yeah, can yeah. people so, help and so... what are we doing? Uh, we try to, you know, we, the centuries are operated by individual citizens in China, animal activists. Mm -hmm. They just cannot turn their back to these needy uh, animals. So they start to rescue these dogs one at a time. And then before you know it, they have, you know, 200 dogs, 600 dogs, uh, that kind of a thing. And before the social media is a thing, they usually have to, uh, come up with their own money. So I have, you know, our local partners, some of them sold their apartments, um, sold all their process, possessions, quit their job to, to save these dogs. And then there's the social media, you know, came on board, then they start to be able to raise funds for the dogs, but it's hardly enough. A lot of uh, centuries in China, uh, the condition is extremely poor. The dogs actually are not much better off than being a homeless dog in, in the street, mm -hmm. except they are safe. You know, no one is going to harm them in the sanctuary, but the sanitary condition is so poor. Um, the space is too cramped. And also they don't have, some of them don't even have enough food to eat. The uh, one of the sanctuary near Wuhan, mm, when I met uh, this lady last May, she was only able to raise the fund, like a, average speaking per dog, it's like $5 per dog when she distributed that. But the keyboard cost $10 per dog a month. Mm -hmm. So on top of that, when you have 200 dogs, you have to do immunization, you have to spay and neuter them, otherwise they'll multiply or they'll have outbreaks, right? So, so, so she struggled. And then on top of that, she told me that the government gave her notice that she needed to move. She absolutely have no money to move, much less to build a new place. So that's where we came in and then we helped her build a new sanctuary. We were able to transfer all the dogs to the new sanctuary in time before, you know, the government bulldozer over the whole place. Um, 
So then the thing is, though, uh, adoption in China is not uh, scalable. As I also mentioned earlier, lots of these, um, uh, you know, people don't regard, in the countryside especially, they don't regard the, the dogs as a family or sentient beings, that they have feelings, that they should live indoor, not outdoor, 7-24, be chained to a, a post, something like that. Like they, they chain the dog. Mm-hmm. So the dog don't run away and 724. So um, we have tried adoption and it turns out that, you know, they don't take care of them. So they have disease. They had, uh, you know, they lost their eyes or skin problems or they get pregnant, all sort of things. So we stopped adoption altogether because most of these centuries are based in the rural area. So because of that, I'm looking for U.S. partners here in, in you know, we're based in San Diego to help us, uh, you know, we'll get the dogs from China to America and then help us to foster and get these dogs adopted to, you know, by American families here. Mm-hmm. That's the whole operation. Yeah. So uh, you're trying to bring some of the uh, homeless dogs from China to uh, the U.S. for adoption. Yes, yes. Okay. And uh, so, and how many sanctuaries did you say there were? We, yeah, we are supporting six of them and uh, uh, 1,300 dogs and cats together. Mm. Maybe I'll have to get my friend Eric Weissman from Evolution uh, Vegan Dog Food to help uh, help get some uh, get some food out to some of the needy ones there. Right. Oh, that would be so awesome. Yeah. yeah. Do they do business in China yet? Do they, do they have their food in China? The, yeah, do they sell food? their product in China? I, I don't think so, but uh, I'm sure he would be happy to if he could. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, how, how would that happen? Like, where, where would a vegan dog food be sold uh, in China? Or does that mean just shipping somebody ordering it from China and shipping it there? or what? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't know because I do know some American brand, they, they do sell their kibbles in China, you know. Uh, it's a China, the pet market in China is huge. Mm-hmm. Well, Evolution is a, you know, it's a vegan company. So, okay. So they, uh, and they, you know, they they, yeah. they 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 they've been around for thirty years and with with no recalls of, of mm. products, which uh, you can't you can't really say that about the uh, non-vegan uh, so-called pet foods here. There are so many recalls, and you know. So um, anyway, but I'll I'll connect you with Evolution to see you know what what. Oh, that'd be so awesome! Yes, we can find out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And da- Daisy loves it, so that's my. My little sweetheart's food, so uh, she just uh, she just loves it. So you know, I would love to learn that. Also, <laughs> learn about their product. Yes, sure. as a dog owner. Yes. Yeah, I will definitely uh, connect you uh, with Eric Weissman. So your organization is uh, World of Angels Foundation. Um, yeah. And do you have uh, social media? Uh, yeah, we are on. We are on. Facebook, uh, so we it's W O A Foundation, you know W O A for World of Angels. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we envision a World of Angels come together to save these dogs. 
because those our local sanctuary partners inspired them because they look like angels to me for their you know courageous act and selfish act to save these dogs sure well you know, really i mean um just uh some years ago i i received an award here let, let me uh, make it about myself so so from the supreme master ching hai association and uh, these are uh, wonderful uh, a wonderful community people who uh, have uh, brought us so many loving hut restaurants around the world so one year they gave me an award called the shining world hero and i thought like why i mean i'm just hosting a vegan radio show why am i getting this award and then i really recognize that you know all all vegans are shining world heroes all people who are helping to rescue animals are shining world heroes you know i mean uh, you can't uh, you can't be more of a hero than than helping those most in need who really have no voice and like you say even the conditions in in china even how however awful they are for people and they're forced to stay in their high-rise apartments or whatever the dogs still have it so much worse out there and so it's so so great that people have a heart for the animals and uh you know then that kind of makes you a shining world hero too Yiping, i must say <laughs> but they but, inspire me because you know if if dogs are gifts from god these people are angels to protect them you know against a cultural background that does not like what they do disapprove of the, what they do Right. But they anyway, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we've, we've gone up against a lot of cultural backgrounds, uh, you know, related to being vegan. I, I really don't know how animal exploitation has become so widespread and compassion, you know, is such a small percentage. That's growing, but uh, you would think things would be uh, the reverse. Well, I guess it's for up to us to make things the reverse. So uh, I think sooner or later, the younger generation will realize we have go. You know, this has gone out of control. They will reflect. They will correct. That's why I think you see such a high percentage of young population who are interested in becoming vegan. You know, I have a friend who has a daughter. She's only you know fourteen year old. For environmental issues, she wants to become a vegan. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just so encouraging. You know, when I heard that, I just like a light go went on for me. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we have to. I mean, it, we're, we're told it's uh, really the... And, and the thing is that that information is also so suppressed that uh, going vegan, we are told, is the only solution for climate change before it's too late. And it's not that I'm making it up because I love animals. I, I'm quoting World Bank climate specialists, NASA, uh, Oxford University studies. I mean, all of them are saying that the only solution before it's too late to stop climate change and deforestation and resource depletion and desertification, acidification, eutrophication, and uh, habitat destruction and mass extinction, the only solution is to go vegan. And we're so distracted by 
politicians and environmental groups who mislead us into thinking we need green new deals and an alternative energy infrastructure, which would take 20 years and $30 trillion when uh, the answer is really uh, very simple. Animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change, responsible for at least 51% of human-generated greenhouse gas emissions. And um, so the only solution is to go vegan, and we have to get the message out um, in spite of all the propaganda that's out there. So, And, and what would you say about um, information in China, like... Uh, uh, censorship uh how, how how well are you know the ideas uh transmitted freely or, or uh social media censored i mean how uh, yeah censorship in china is big especially under xi's leadership and he has put things politically backward at least 20 years hmm. prior to his him coming to power things are loosening up but then when he came on board and combined with high-tech technology, uh, censorship is extremely uh, uh, tight these days. Mm. Um, especially like the coronavirus, they don't want people to share information. I myself, when I am on social media with my families in China during some discussion, my message won't get trans transferred. It's deleted. They never seen it. It's amazing, yeah. But as long as it's not political topic, it's okay. As long as you are not saying things against the government. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you want to talk about vegan, that that's okay, no problem. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I feel that the, the, there's strong censorship and, and propaganda in this country too. So. We oh, that's use... like a commercially motivated. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing with uh, successful brands like Go Beyond Burger, you know, when they become bigger, they 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 will put their uh, messages there. Right. Well, and and they're all growing. I mean, there there must be a demand for it. A lot of investment in in vegan food products, and you know, especially the alternative uh, uh, the alternatives to cow's milk are really taking off, and you know the the vegan meats and uh so uh there's there's hope you know so and it's up yeah to so us. things are all looking up things are all looking up thanks to you for <laughs> like what 18 19 years well yeah doing this oh. uh this show for 19 years and yeah. uh, vegan for 36 years which means i've been i've been talking that up for you know like uh you know how, how do you tell somebody is vegan well he or she will talk about it pretty quickly and bring it up pretty quickly. I'm always wearing vegan T-shirts and vegan caps, you know, just always, <laughs> just always wanting to to bring up the subject, you know. I mean, you so. leave and breathe the topic. I do. I I and I think like now I think maybe I'm maybe I have said the word vegan maybe more than anyone on the planet, considering it's in the name. <laughs> How many times did I say vegan just today talking to you? And, you know, it's the... Well, you know, yes. <laughs> well, it is my favorite word, you know, so... Um, and uh, I love seeing it. I think it's a, it's a beautiful word that we were given uh, back in the 1940s by the 
uh, Donald Watson in the, in the UK, and actually in the 1930s in Jamaica, uh, the Rastafarian, uh, Rastafari community uh, with reggae music uh, called uh, vegan, they were vegan and they called it ITAL. So uh, the word ITAL, I-T-A-L, um, came to being even before the word vegan. Um, and uh, so that Jamaican community has been uh, vegan since the 1930s. And then, you know, the concept of being vegan in, you know, Western culture with, uh, it's biblical. It's, in the, it's, it's actually in the beginning of the Bible. If one goes to uh, Genesis book one, uh, verse 29, God says uh, to be vegan, uh, but you know, didn't didn't use those words. But you know, for those for those who are into the Bible and checking that out, how, how have we missed that? How how can there be a church barbecue when uh, you know the beginning of the Bible says to be vegan too? So um, it's all on our side. We have all the all the arguments for it for you know caring about animals, saving animals, and the planet and people's help health and. Uh, Addressing world hunger, so uh, you know that, that that's uh, that's my uh, one-stop answer to every problem. Whenever somebody complains about any problem in the world, I just, uh, just mention, yeah, well, go vegan. I, that probably <laughs> that'll probably solve it. So, was, was there anything else you wanted to mention uh, before we uh, close out our discussion here today? Yeah, I think to those out there who are who are vegans and who are also animal uh, activists, you just uh, keep fighting. Don't ever give up. It's hard to. I, I mean, I couldn't if I wanted, you know, I mean, I But look at you. You never give up. I'm sure when you started, no one even know what vegan means and uh, like, what are you doing, right? But to now people want to listen to you and follow you and to now you see the booming of vegan market. These all are good, exciting, encouraging signs. Sure. Well, this was um, th w this show was the first vegan show ever in uh, mainstream media. We started on a radio station in Los Angeles in 2001, KRLA, and then we added on uh, K uh, KYCY in San Francisco, and then um, another station in San Francisco, The Quake, and then Green 960, and we were on the Air America Radio Network. And so the show has always has always been popular because of the subject matter. People, uh, are, you know, it, it couldn't have been all vegans who were listening, but we had good ratings because people are interested in animals and food and health and the environment. So um, you know, it's, it's a subject about everything. Like the, the show Seinfeld, they always said, was a show about nothing. This is a show about everything, right? I mean, here we are today uh, talking about uh, the coronavirus in China. Uh, you know, as uh, you know, it's just uh, it's a the the subject of a uh, vegan covers everything. It, you know, it just uh, it's endless the connections to, to everything in life. I mean, it it's the way of life. So yeah, totally great, totally great. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and you have a website too? Um, yeah, our website uh, also woafoundation.org. Uh, we've done a lot of study research, uh, so we have tons of information on our website about uh, homeless dog 
the crisis there, and also as well as the uh, animal uh, activists, uh, sanctuary partners, their story. And we also have Facebook account, our social media, that where we inform people of up-to-date uh, movement in China, like coronavirus, the homeless dogs situation in China because of coronavirus we have tons of videos and information there great okay well again I want to thank you for being with us today we've been talking to uh, Yiping Lai of the World of Angels Foundation and uh, thank you for your heroic work oh thank you thank you for giving me this opportunity to share our story great it was a pleasure talking with you and we'll, we'll stay in touch all right. Thank you, Bob. Linden at GoVeganRadio.com, on Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, and on Twitter at GoVeganRadio. Please make a tax-deductible donation to support this program and the work that we have done um, for now just well, it's 19 years that we have been doing this talk show. We keep practicing. We're trying to get it right. Eventually, we will. Actually, we're doing the show for 19 years, and uh, I think today is the first time that I have to admit that I misspoke. It took 19 years for me to make a mistake, but I was about to report on a study. This is a new study from the Ontario Veterinary College at the University of Guelph um, that uh, looked at longevity and health related to cats and dogs, vegan cats, vegan cats and dogs versus um, meat-eating cats and dogs. And I'm looking at the study now, and they're still working on the data related to dogs. The prelim preliminary numbers that I'm seeing, the pre preliminary statistics, are related only to cats. So I apologize. We will report on the findings related to dogs as soon as we have them. But right now, it's just regarding cats. So again, so this is a new study from the Ontario Veterinary College at the University of Guelph from self-reported on a um, self-reported on. It's a self-reported online survey of 1,325 respondents. Uh, this was conducted by Dr. Sarah Dodd, uh, comparing vegan diets versus meat-based diets. And right now, we're just going to talk about cats and wait for the statistics on dogs. So what it says regarding longevity or lifespan Vegan cats versus meat-eating cats, longevity and lifespan are virtually the same. So, 
same on lifespan. What does it say? It says um, 82% of guardians feeding their cats a vegan diet reported very good health versus 65% of those feeding meat. Body condition score, 65% for vegan cats, 54% for non-vegan cats. Uh, most health conditions uh, are less common in vegan cats versus meat-fed cats. Urinary tract condition is as common in vegan cats as non-vegan cats. Cats fed a vegan diet had uh, significant, uh, significantly lower prevalence of uh, gastrointestinal disease, renal disease, and diabetes. And uh, let me look here for a second. I see that there's a little table at the bottom here that I can see. So for comparison purposes, let's see. So the... Uh, Prevalence of, uh, it says, prevalence of owner-reported health conditions in cats fed strictly plant-based, so they call it plant-based PB, or strictly plant-based, which is good because I don't really know what plant-based means. Uh, I prefer the word vegan myself because even if you look at Forks Over Knives, that website, it says that a plant-based diet doesn't exclude all animal products. So um, I guess in this case it says uh, fed uh, strictly plant-based, which means vegan. They do use the word vegan in the study also. Um, and they uh, use the term owners, but I prefer the term guardians myself. Um, since I don't regard animals as property, although the law seems to and society seems to think of animals as property, as things, how can you own an animal? You know, that's my thinking. Um, you're a guardian, you're a steward for the animals. So, anyway, looking at this little uh, table here, so it says a uh, condition. Uh, diabetes, meat-based cats, 2.2% had the condition, 0% for the vegan cats. Well, that's a pretty good statistic there. GI and uh, hepatic, which is what, liver. So, 14% uh, of the meat-eating cats had conditions related to gastrointestinal and uh, liver. 4.6% of the uh, vegan cats. So that was 14% 14, 14 versus 4.6%. Vegan cats doing very well on uh, the health stats here right now renal 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 um which is kidney kidney conditions uh the uh meat eating cats 
4.6 of them had problems. 0.6% of the vegan cats had renal problems. Cardiac problems. 2.5% of the meat-eating cats had uh, cardiac problems. 1.2% of the vegan cats. So um, that's over twice the figure there, cardiac problems. Then dental problems, 20% of the meat-eating cats versus 14% vegan cats. Dermatological problems, let's see here, it says 9.6% for meat-eating cats, 8.7% for the vegan cats. Uh, lower urinary tract, it was uh, 11% for both groups, and obesity, uh, 9.6% obesity problems for the meat-eating cats and 5.2% uh, for the vegan cats. Again, it looks like double the problems in that category too. So anyway, there you have it. And uh, I don't know, what's, what's this going to do for uh, evolution? Evolution, vegan dog and cat food. With statistics like this, I don't know, what do we, do we expect an IPO? Do we expect evolution to be the next uh, Beyond Meat or Amazon or Apple or what? All of this great news from a study talking about vegan cats. And again, we're waiting for the data to come in regarding vegan dogs. But uh, if you like what you're hearing regarding these statistics related to cats... Um, evolution, vegan dog and cat food, check it out, go to petfoodshop.com, petfoodshop.com, I'm sure this study makes Eric Weissman very happy, um, at Evolution, the company, it's a family-owned business, vegan, 100% vegan company, family-owned, it's been around for 30 years, not one product recall in 30 years, and I invite you to Google how many recalls there have been for any of the meat-based products uh, that you might be serving your companion animals, your dogs and cats. Uh, always uh, lots of problems with them. And then if you look at the ingredients in commercial so-called pet food, you might even find <laughs> the dogs and cats in that, the rendered dogs and cats and the euthanizing agent. Uh, it's really kind of gross, but uh, commercial pet food is kind of gross, so I do recommend Evolution. Daisy loves it. She eats it every day. She loves it, and there's uh, canned food and kibble, and there's an organic line of Evolution right now, too, so petfoodshop.com. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at goveganradio.com. And uh, coming up next, we will talk to vegan filmmaker Gene Blaylock. And once again, I invite you to support this program with a tax-deductible donation. We don't get the kind of money that the environmental groups do, and they're just misleading everybody away from what the real solution is. Um, everybody's misleading everybody except for us here. We're, we're the only ones... <laughs> 
who seem to be, to want to save the planet. We're the ones who go to the trouble of learning what the real solution is. I mean, look at all the politicians out there who talk about, oh, you know, climate change. It's at the top of our list. And look at their solution, an alternative energy infrastructure, which would take 20 years and $30 trillion, and it's just not going to happen. Carbon taxes and carbon trading, it's all worthless. It's just not going to happen. It's not the solution. The only solution before it's too late is a massive human population shift to vegan, and we salute China for having 50 million vegans right now. Uh, you know, now we need that number to go up. There are a billion and a half people in China. Um, room for growth there. And Yiping Lai said that uh, she'd like to work with us if we were to get a, you know, a concert together. Climate Crisis Live Aid, the concert to save the planet. We'd make sure it gets, gets heard in China if it doesn't get uh, censored. Uh, but then again, we, we hope, you know, if, if we were live streaming it, then again, we would hope that it doesn't get censored here in this country because the, the vegan message seems to be censored when it comes to the environment. You have all these politicians who pretend to be concerned going on talk shows eating cow's milk ice cream. So how ironic, how hypocritical. And so uh, I guess it comes down to us, really, if we're going to save the world, the world needs to know the truth. The moment of truth is here. So please help us, support us with a tax-deductible donation at GoVeganRadio.com. special events you can go to goveganradio.com and there's a donate button there and uh, kind of interesting you know I, I get approached by many publicists who talk about uh, suggest, suggesting guests for the show and uh, recently I was contacted uh, asking if I would like to interview Somebody named Gene Blaylock, who's been a vegan since 1989 and appears to be a successful Hollywood filmmaker now. And I thought, Gene Blaylock, that name sounds familiar to me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Gene, we go back. We go back a long way together. Yeah, absolutely. Here. Yeah, long, long, long time friends. And, uh, and I think last time I did your show, I was still doing music professionally. I think at the time, but uh, yeah, we go, we go way back. De definitely. So I, I thought, well, this must be the Gene Blaylock I know who uh, uh, did animal rights protests with me. And the last I remember, I think I was at one of your music shows in Hollywood, and 
So it's it's been confirmed. You are the same person. <laughs> <We've>, <laughs> we we exactly. haven't been in touch for a while, and uh, no, yeah. That I'm show still, was that was that the show ahead. was it at the whiskey? Was that the thing we did for World Week for Animals? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Long. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Many years ago. ago. Well, I mean, this show, I've been doing this talk show now since 2001. So. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and you've been vegan since uh, 1989. I've well, been I, vegan. Yes. I would, I would veg in 1989 and then like four or five years later went vegan. But yes. Okay. Great. And I've been vegan since uh, 1984. So it's uh, 36 years for me. You know, you can live at least that long. Um, as a vegan, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, exactly. So, um, so how long ago would that have been? Where uh, I mean, that would have been the last time I saw you, right? At, at, in Hollywood at your show there. So that could have been. That was that was ten years ago, eight years ago, something like that. Could could be. Yeah, time flies. Yeah, really. It does. It does. Yeah. Pretty pretty amazing. So um, so what have you been up to? I have. <laughs> <laughs> haven't spoken to you in a while <laughs> what you've been doing <laughs> <laughs> it has indeed um yeah no I, i've switched to, you know I, I think at the time like i said like we said we were i was doing music full-time at the at that particular point in my life and now i've moved over to filmmaking i helped with several documentaries we've done three feature films now so yeah it's just been been living in that world lately oh fantastic so um how did that happen where was that your interest or how did you uh transition or was that I mean I've, I've always been interested in film I actually went to, to university that's what I studied it, it was was filmmaking and the music thing kind of took off we got it we got the deal with Capitol Records and and so I came to LA as a musician but filmmaking's always been there like since uh, I used to edit the old skate videos of my my skate team back in, in Virginia and then uh, went to film school and came on out to LA as a musician and now we just transitioned back into one of my one of my original loves filmmaking Great. So um, you're uh, with uh, Seraph Films, is that? Uh... Yeah, that's my that's my production company, and kind of started it with a you know a, a business partner of mine who's who's also vegan. Um, all our sets are vegan, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, most of my partners in the, in the film company are, are vegan as well. So oh, okay, well, interesting. I uh, I thought well. How qualified am I really to to discuss uh, the horror genre? Genre, right? I mean, generally <laughs> speaking, you're uh, that's the kind of film you're generally uh, involved with making. Is the um, I get dragged into a lot of horror, yeah, for sure. Um, the the most recent feature we're doing is a straight up drama, though it has no no horror element to it whatsoever. It's boy meets girl, fall in love, spend the spend the evening together type type thing, but no horror at all. At all in that one, but yeah, I typically I typically do get to kind of live in the horror world. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what do I know of horror movies? Do I even have I ever seen any? I mean, and then I, I, <laughs> I, I, I well, you know, as a kid, I, I grew up on the Twilight Zone, and uh, <sighs> then there was another, the best, the best, right, the best, <laughs> uh, right. And then another show came on that uh, was supposed to be even scarier than the Twilight Zone, which is called The Outer Limits. So love the outer uh, limits. Yeah, that was that was pretty scary. So I thought, I, apparently, I, I've seen a lot of. Then I, I look at these uh, lists of the uh, hundred best horror movies of all time, um, and I, I, I've seen many of them. I guess I haven't seen many recently because I think my life has become a real horror movie itself. So you know, <laughs> I, I I live with fear every moment. Why do I need to? <laughs> you know, why, do I, why do I need that from the cinema? 
Um, but I'm I'm looking at uh, what what are considered, and I imagine that you've seen many of them too. But uh, I've seen lots of them, and they're, they're classics. And I maybe I didn't even think that they were horror movies, but uh, I saw you know there was Alfred Hitchcock with Psycho and The Birds. Right. And uh, well, what do, do you have any favorites of of yours that? Uh, do you- you you mentioned a lot of them. I mean, the, the the horror that I typically like and that we end up doing is definitely more on the psychological side. It's a very Hitchcock, very Twilight Zone, very Outer Limits. Um, yeah, I don't do a lot of slasher stuff. It's not really I, not that I have a I'm not opposed to a lot of blood, but I think it needs to be deserved from the psychological side of it. So yeah, you, you hit on almost all. The, I grew up watching Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and <laughs> Tales from the Dark Side. So that's that's kind of where the the type of horror I live in. So yeah, I remember. Uh... As a kid, the I think there was a movie. It was called Village of the Damned, which yeah, uh, yeah. I was yeah. nine years old, and that scared me because of their eyes. You know, it was like their their eyes. <laughs> right. Their right. eyes seemed to be missing. And then uh, here, my, my list is uh, The Exorcist. Oh, um, that's classic, yeah. Classic with Linda Blair. Um, yeah, and that scared me as an adult. I saw that movie. Well, it must have been after college, and I was visiting a friend in Toledo who was in law school, and we decided that the closest place uh, playing The Exorcist was Detroit, and so we decided, okay, let's let's go to Detroit and see this movie, but, you know, there was such a buildup around it that bad things were happening on the set, and then... The, the the thing I remember was that washcloths were flaming washcloths chased people around their houses. So that was my my biggest fear was that washcloths uh, on fire would be chasing me around the house after I saw that movie. And then, uh, um, I hadn't heard that one. I, I have heard that the like, weird stuff was happening on set. And I don't know how much of that is build up and hype for the film. But yeah, I hadn't heard the washcloth ones. Okay. Right. Yeah, flaming washcloths. I, I'm still I'm still scared whenever I see a washcloth. I, <laughs> I, I run in panic, and little did I know that Linda Blair would be a guest on my radio show in the future. She's vegan, you know. Uh, yeah, she's she's awesome. So. Awesome. I I asked her to to spin her head around on my radio show, which she did for us. <laughs> so that was nice. And uh, I'm going through my 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 list here of uh, fantastic horror movies just to show that. I, I could talk to you about this, Gene. I could. T- I saw Jaws. Which I- <laughs> <laughs> oh, Spielberg. I mean, Spielberg is one of my favorite directors, and and that's that's the the thing about all the films I make. There, there, there. Hopefully, there's a human connection in it. It's not uh, just straight up horror. Hopefully, there's some connection, and something Spielberg does amazing, amazingly is you know really draws you in, and makes you care about the characters, and and so whatever journey they're going on, be it Jaws or Jaws or ET, you're you're invested and in, and you want to be a part of it. So. Right, right, right. So um, your publicist who reunited us uh, said that uh, you have recently released uh, The Nightmare Gallery starring Amber... Mm-hmm. Um, Amber Benson. Amber Benson. You have uh, Buffy the uh, Vampire Slayer. So uh, yeah. Yeah. How, how long yeah. ago uh, did you release that? Uh, we released it earlier last year. We finished it... We finished it um, we finished early last year and then uh, got the, dis- the distribution for it, so it's available on all the streaming uh, platforms now. Um, yeah, I think it was, I think maybe March or April of last year it was released. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that one. Um, that one it was it was an interesting project. It was brought to me by the uh, John who inevitably ended up producing it. He wrote it and brought it to me, and I really liked the cycle. Uh, the cycle the psychological side of it it was a kind of the uh, amber's character her mental decay into this madness and obsession and what that means 
that means. If it, you know, when you become obsessed with something, how does it affect your life? Your life, how does it affect the people around you? And and she gets very focused on um, her protege who's who's gone missing. And so it, we just follow her her descent into madness. Hmm. It's very Lovecraft crafting. It's a very niche film. I think it's very. Uh, I, I'm not sure every horror fan is going to love it, but it's it's a very niche uh, film. So, mm-hmm. so. And I'm told soon soon you will be releasing uh, Carpe Noctum, starring uh, Nina Bergman. Carpe Noctum, yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that one that was not horror at all. I think I have a lot of friends who don't like horror, and they're like, I can't watch your films. And, and well, I didn't. I didn't watch really. Think, I, I didn't think I liked horror that much either until I looked at this list of films and I thought, <laughs> oh, some of my favorites. And, and still, let me. I'll go back to my list here a, a little bit, just uh, of uh, what I saw over the years uh, that I think sure. I liked. Or, so, whatever happened to Baby Jane? Good one, yeah, classic. Yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, and that was like a Saturday afternoon. Uh, like every Saturday afternoon, it was some TV show would be sharing, show, uh, some station would be showing that. And we'd, my friend Patrick and I would watch that every every single Saturday. <laughs> and there was The Shining. Um, Kubrick. Uh, yeah. Absolutely great. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. Yep. Carrie. I'm just going over, you know, yep. this is my, this is my, <laughs> my resume on horror films. So if, uh, uh, Rosemary's Baby. Uh, the Silence Absolutely. of the Lambs, Night of the Living Dead, Alien, The Thing. So anyway, so I, I just realized I'm very. Uh, see, I think I think you're a horror fan. You, you, you <laughs> named all the classics, though. I think I think you're a horror fan. Right, but what am I missing in recent years that would be good? Because I, uh, you know, I really haven't. Uh, like I said, since my life is a horror movie, I feel like every time I go into a supermarket. <laughs> I'm I'm in a horror movie in a haunted house, you know, with all that. That's yeah. No, there's there's certainly nothing scarier than real life and what they're doing to the animals <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the horror recently has been it's it's an interesting time because it, for once it's actually starting to be treated very seriously again. I mean, I think in the '80s and it was kind of it was kind of a quick money grab. They throw you know a million dollars into a horror film and you know gross five million and hey, it's a success. So it was more of a quick cash grab for him but we're recently i think it's been taken very seriously there's a conjuring um james wan is doing amazing stuff um insidious uh more recently like the the remake of it is it's all just really good and and horror that's been taken very seriously for once Hmm. yeah well like you say if there's something psychological to it if there's something deeper than just uh stabbing or blood or you know they they must use a lot of ketchup, uh, or uh, <laughs> or what do we use for blood in horror movies? What? Uh... Well, Hitchcock used chocolate in Psycho. It was all chocolate. It was Hershey's chocolate syrup. So since it was black and white, it had the right consistency. <laughs> it was consistency for it, but yeah, a bunch of these films were in black and white. I don't know. Sometimes that right. has a little scarier nature to it. It seems so. Yeah, it's uh, very very film noir. So yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you use? Do you when you use uh, blood? Is there a? Uh... Oh, we had there. There's all professional blood now. Our makeup artist brings in all these. You know, there's. Well, this is for if it's going to be more flowy. This is you know, this is more if it's uh, kind of already started to scab up. So there's there's all kinds of actually. Uh, so, so there are researchers uh, in labs uh, making <laughs> blood. Like here's the scab up blood that I've been working on. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what's uh, What's what's the process like for you? You're you're an independent filmmaker, and uh, mm-hmm. Graph Films is an independent film film company. So, mm-hmm. um, what happens? Do do writers bring their work to you, or and then y- y- you look? At yeah, it? we're 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 
yeah, I'm, I'm constantly given scripts, you know, to see if I'm interested in it and stuff like that. It's more, it, it, it's, I have to be attracted to the story. I have to, I have to really be invested in it because otherwise you're just making a movie. Why? It's always like, why does this story need to be told? And uh, that's what attracts me to the, to the scripts that are presented to me. Um, Nightmare Gallery, again, John brought it to me. Carpe Noctum uh, was uh, the writer of that, brought it to me and said, hey, I want you to direct this. And I read it. I was like, yeah, I, I, I understand this. It's a world that, that, uh, that, I, that I live in almost. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just, I just need to be attracted to the story to be able to, 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 be able to, to connect with the characters and direct them. And, and so do you uh, look for uh, investors or you have investors? Like what, what, how expensive is it to, to, to produce a movie? And what, what might you expect the return to be in the independent world? It, well, I mean, it, it, it's 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 funny because the 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 re, the big movie world considers anything under five million dollars to be independent, and we never <laughs> remotely approached that. We're 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 you know we're in the sub like five hundred thousand uh, dollar world for that. Um, and like Carpe Noctum, the guy that had written it already had funding and brought it in. Um, Nightmare Gallery, there was some funding behind it already, so we then we had to just we had to just like finish up the funding on that um so yeah i mean there's there's different ways to go about it we have a group of uh of uh executive producers that are kind of there and we can always reach out to them if we have a good project and some sometimes just say yes sometimes they say no but you know, it's a, in the indie world that's what it's all about is just trying to find the funding and figure out you know how to to get this funded and how and what the return on it's going to be isn't um, that the case with everything finding <laughs> funding and yeah, uh, yeah. right now i i I need to find a few million dollars. I, I want to produce a, a concert, a Climate Crisis Live Aid, because uh, talk about a horror story, uh, climate uh, crisis and climate change and all. And uh, I uh, produced a couple of concerts over the past year, some reggae vegan fests, and uh, oh, nice. funding is the uh, is the challenge. And uh, you know, but uh, so I. I, I can relate to that. Um, and so, what's the potential then? If you're you're uh, creating films for under five hundred thousand dollars, where do you expect them to be seen? Like, are you are they to be in movie theaters, or is it more of a how how would people know about them and see them? I, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's it's a weird beast when you're in the indie world. Um, yeah, I mean, we were offered a theatrical release with Nightmare Gallery. So I think it depends on the film and who you get for distribution, exactly how they want to go about it. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Carpe Noctum, but um, Nightmare Gallery was offered a theatrical release, and now it's on all the streaming platforms. And I think it all comes down to you know what, how much money you have to put behind the promotion of it, because you want people to a, know the film even exists to begin with, and then create the interest for people to watch it on you know, whichever outlets it's going to go to. Um, but yeah, ultimately, hopefully, it goes to the theater for a you know limited run, and then ends up on all the streaming platforms. And people have to to pay to view on the streaming platform. Um, well, we're on Amazon Prime, so that's free if you have Prime, and it's on Mobi. Uh, was it Mobi or Mobi? Um, which you can watch for free. They put commercials in the middle of it, so you, so you you know you have to deal with that. But yeah, otherwise, you can rent it or stream it from iTunes and Amazon and all the, the other platforms. Um, but yeah, if you already paid for one of the specific services, it should be able to stream for pretty much free. So, okay. 
Okay. And so what's the potential then for a filmmaker who produces a film for under $500,000? What would your greatest dreams be for a return? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, it, it's weird because that's where my producers and I kind of fall on different sides of the line. I don't do it for the financial gain. I do it because I want to make the story. I want to tell the story and I want to get it out there. Um, um, and obviously, the people that invested in the film want to at least make their money back, and that that way they go, oh, we 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 did that. It was cool. I'm an executive producer. Here's more money for the money for the next project. But uh, ultimately, for me, it's just about hopefully just making enough money enough money to be able to pay my pay my bills and then move on to doing the next project. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then tell us again about what what's coming uh, the the film that you say is uh, coming up for you. The um Carpe Noctum. Uh, so. Carpe Noctum. Yeah, it's a we're we're, a, we're actually doing a, a focus group this week here in LA. Um, I, we're almost done with it. I think uh, we've got we've got the first cut, and then what happens is we have to make sure we get what's called picture lock, which means no more editing will be done on the film. You know, the the edit is pretty much done. Then we move into you know, hand it over to the composer, hand it over to the VFX artist, hand it over to the sound mixer, and they kind of finish it, and then. Uh, uh, we, I don't know which distributor we're going with right now for that one, but that would be the next step is to reach out to the distributor, see who's interested, and then it's released either theatrically or on demand or streaming or however you're going to go about getting it out to the world. Mm-hmm. And is it common to have uh, focus groups uh, watch the film and uh, you get a reaction? Yeah, I mean, even even in the, in the big Hollywood world, they'll they'll do um, screenings, of, you know, private little events so that people can watch it. And a lot of times there's different endings, so... One group seeing one ending, the other group seeing the other ending, and they kind of take all that feedback and then then finalize finalize the film based on the the, film, uh, the feedback they get. And same thing we did with Nightmare Gallery. The original cut was like two two hours and twenty minutes, and we knew it was going to get cut down to an hour and a half. So we just used the the feedback we got from the uh, the test audiences to decide how to shape the story. But yeah, it's pretty common to do feed. I, I'm not a big fan of uh, focus groups personally, but uh, it's kind of part of the process that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and how many films have you made at uh, Seraph Films so uh, so far? Uh, well, we've made tons of shorts and and a bunch of web series. This will be our third feature film that we've done in the past uh, five years. And uh, web series. Web series. We've done <laughs> countless. Countless web series, but the, the most recent one was called the Orpheus Protocol, which all, which is kind of a science fiction slash horror, maybe horror uh, uh, web series. And uh, you have a YouTube channel. Absolutely, yeah, the Sarah Films. Okay, and um, so what about the set? You said your set is always vegan. Always vegan, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, definitely something that I require if I'm directing. I don't want any. Uh, <laughs> I don't want any of that. To, you know, any of the the bad. Connotations, connotations that come around dead animals on our set, so it's all 100% vegan. Great. So, and and uh, I presume all the actors and and uh, uh, production people are are happy with the food. It, you know, for the most part, I, I think it honestly comes down to: it, does it taste good? Is it hearty? Because you know you're doing 10 to 12 hours, 12 hours days on set, so I think as long as it tastes good and people really are filled, we haven't had any issues with it. I mean, uh, Nina, who, uh, who's in Carpe Noctum, is actually vegan. And a lot of people actually involved in Carpe Noctum are actually just are vegans. But uh, even Nightmare Gallery, where there were tons of people that weren't vegan, there wasn't a big issue. It was just like, oh, we're having hamburgers today, and it's all Beyond Burgers. So, yeah, it hasn't been a big deal. Do you uh, have a caterer, or do you go to restaurants to bring in food? 
The, yeah, usually there's usually you figure out who you're gonna do. Um, like the the last film, uh, Carpe Noctum, was Soup Goddess, which is kind of a vegan. So they do sandwiches and soup and stuff like that. They catered pretty much the whole film. The 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 one before that, Nightmare Gallery, we had an actual caterer who was fixing, you know, each meal. So yeah, it really depends. Mm. Well, I'll have to start taking notes uh, about my life as I go along and maybe present it to you <laughs> as a script at some point. Uh, so you know, I, there, 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 there are so many people I know from the animal rights movement. I just, I'm just like, your life would be fascinating. Let's make it into a movie. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really true, actually. So, and and you, you don't just stay with the uh, horror genre then. So, uh, no, not absolutely no, no. Again, it's it's all about you know the story and the characters in that story. Do we relate to them? Do we care about them? And that's really it. Doesn't matter what genre it is. Well, I have an illustrious career, um, not only having watched uh, movies like Village of the Damned, but I, I was I was a, a, a great extra for <laughs> for a while there. I was in a what was I in a Jack Nicholson movie? I, so uh, let's see, really, it was, it was something called Man Crazy, and then there was a movie called Gun Crazy. So in in one of them, I, uh, I what was I? I had to. We walked into a big uh, concert, and there was a a beautiful woman on, uh, you know, on uh, holding on to each of my arms as we came in. You know, <laughs> ty- typecasting the way it always is for me. <laughs> and then uh, I think I was I I think I played a cop in uh, Gun Crazy, and had to drive a police car with the police with the party lights on. Wow! And uh, shoot a gun, which was actually very loud. Um, you know, now I know why they said, do you want, do you want, uh, you know, ear, um, earplugs? So, uh, yeah. So, um, and then, you know, and I was taking acting classes in Hollywood and then a job offer came up to be a program director at a radio station in Washington, DC. And I, I couldn't pass that offer. So I, I said, I was never going to move back East, never move back to the cold climates, but, <laughs> Jazzy 100 in Washington, D.C. happened, and I, I stopped my acting classes right before the one that was uh, supposed to uh, tell us how we could memorize better, which was my main thing. Is like, how do people remember their lines? That's that's what I find to be the most, uh, unless things are scribbled on, you know, walls everywhere or the floor or whatever. Like, uh, how do people remember their lines so well, Gene? What do you think? Or do they? Or is it like, take 26, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think that, hey, I think we need to get you into one of my films. Cause I had no idea about that. I knew you moved to DC and did radio there, but I had no idea that you had a whole acting background. So, hey, we well, need to get you into extra, some of my films. But, yeah. but, but <laughs> major movies as an extra. So, you know, so yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but I think I think different talent talent has like uh, on Nightmare Gallery. Nicole had she had this whole notebook where she had like if you looked at it, you would. And you wouldn't understand it, but for her, that's the way she memorized things. Was she wrote down certain? It wasn't even phrases or, or her lines. It was just like numbers and letters, and somehow that helped her memorize it. And some people just have really good memories. So yeah, so I don't know. That's why I stay behind the camera. I have no desire to move in front of it because I can't remember anything. So. Right. I was in little plays in third grade and fifth grade, and there and there was a lot of memorization, and you know, you just had people constantly reading reading lines with you, you know, and. Uh, 
that's what it's right, going to yeah. be. So, uh, yeah, I, I do need another secure career to fall back on, like acting. So that would be. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll definitely get you in one of the films. So. All right, like like my radio career was so the, a little less secure than acting would be radio program <laughs> director. You know, uh, there you when, go. When the ratings come out, when the Arbitron comes <laughs> out, so that was, you know, exactly. Yeah. yeah kind of interesting so so uh, is, is, are, are you doing music at all anymore or um you know i i i still get together and, and play with a couple friends here and there but nothing professionally anymore you know the the music industry is really tough to try and make a living in, especially as you get older they want to you know the young attractive people and uh so it, it got it gets really hard you know Filmmaking was always something I was just gonna. T- I was just gonna take a break from music uh, after the last tour, you know, just with the all the craziness that was going on in the tour. I was like, I'm just gonna take a break. We'll s- start making short films, and I was like, always planned on going back to music, but it never happened. It was just the uh, film career kind of took off, and and I was like, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. So, mm. but yeah, I mean, I still get together and play with friends, but but nothing on a professional level anymore. And what do you enjoy most now about your film career? Is there uh... I mean, I think um, same thing I enjoyed about the music career, the people you meet and the people you get to work with everyone, uh, especially uh, on our level, there's, you know, no one's really doing it for the, it for the paycheck. Yes, it helps to be able to pay rent and stuff, but everyone that is involved with the, with, the, with any of my films I've worked on so far are there because they love what they're doing. They, they love the art of the of creating this bigger thing as is, is a group of people so yeah it's it's i guess most mostly people that i that i get to work with i'm really really satisfied with i've met a lot of awesome vegans and and artists that are just there to create right it's great to be around creative people um usually yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yes. we, we, we can have our moods uh, oh, did I just Absolutely. consider myself in that group? I don't know. So, oh, yeah. I, I I have my moods as well, so I 100% agree. <laughs> yeah. So, are you always looking for scripts? You looking for the next? Uh... Yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't know the next big project this year. There's a couple of kind of floating out there nebulously right now. But uh, yeah, I'm always looking for someone that comes to me and say, "Hey, yeah, I've got the story. Let's tell it," and you know, and, and we'll take a look at. Take a look at it and see if we can do it. And, and haven't there been some really low budget ones that, like, really, like I'm trying to think. I, I didn't see the movie, but it was it the the Blair Witch Project or something? Or is that yeah, what it was? yeah. Um, low budget but very high return, very popular. Yeah, and I, I, I definitely think those are the exceptions to the rule. Like, it's kind of a general, like, when you're putting together your pitch packet for investors, you never mention Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity because those are kind of rarities that happen yeah i mean a group of filmmakers just went out and made it and it just happened to take off but um but uh, yeah i think that's the exception to the rule these days especially with uh, everyone being a filmmaker filmmaker these days now you can you've got a 4k camera on your phone you know when you walk out of the house so i think everyone's kind of a uh, trying to time trying to raise money for their particular particular project so so yeah right. blair rich was huge success but it's you know it's kind of I think that's kind of the like i said the rarity of it so it's amazing how suddenly everybody's become a filmmaker, everybody's become a radio host, you know, a DJ. I mean, all of these, all of these things that were exclusively mine years ago. Everybody has a podcast now. Everybody has a radio show. So, and, I mean, that's it's it's kind of exciting because the technology, technology has moved to the point where everyone can do that. But I was I was also always. Uh, 
kind of say if you have a hammer it doesn't mean you should build a house so <laughs> i think you i think you need to hone your skills and like really focus on, on what you really want to do just again you, having a hammer doesn't mean you should build a house right uh good advice to me that's why <laughs> I, I don't even have a hammer because just i wouldn't want to be well, I wouldn't be tempted anyway, but it's not even good for me to have a hammer. <laughs> I, I, I want to keep my fingers the way they are. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm lucky. Well, I you, you've been doing radio long enough. I think you know what you're doing. So, Well, I, I don't know about that. I, I keep practicing. I keep trying. And it's amazing how, how that's changed, too, because when I first started doing this show back in uh, 2001, um, I had to go to KRLA, in, in, which is in Glendale. I had to go to the station so that that started off that way and and now to just be able to do it in the comfort of my room with my little vegan chihuahua daisy right. on my lap that's uh, quite, <laughs> quite quite a change really i uh, you know it went from having to be at the radio station to then going to a studio and producing little mini discs and then you know the, like right. the technology keeps uh keeps keeps changing so um you know i had i had to get to the station I, like and people would donate clunker cars to me that would always explode like three blocks from the station or something <laughs> but, but i got there i got there so you know so we we keep on keeping on so well, exactly just, yeah just just about out of time anything else you wanted to mention or say or do no, that's or? that's pretty much it it's great to reconnect with you and um, i'm glad we got the chance to speak Terrific. Okay. Well, it's uh, Gene Blaylock, uh, with whom we have been speaking here. And go check out uh, Nightmare Gallery, um, starring Amber Benson. Uh, and then, uh, wait, the, the, the focus group is working on Carpe Noctum to make sure you, <laughs> you like that when it comes out. So, uh, and then... <laughs> So is there a website or some sort of contact? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can you can go to Sarah Film, uh, I think Sarah.film um, for, for the company, GeneBoylock.com. Um, Sarah Film's on pretty much all the social media and Gene Boylock on pretty much all the social media and you can kind of follow what we're doing there. Terrific. Well, great catching up with you, Gene, and uh, I wish you uh, best of Absolutely. luck. Absolutely. Best of luck with your films and we'll uh, we'll have to see each other soon. Yeah, absolutely, we should. We're both in L.A., so hopefully at a protest or something that uh, that's going on. Okay, sounds good. Okay, thanks, Steve. Thanks. Okay, thank thanks, Bob. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Radio with Bob Linden. GoVeganRadio.com. On Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. On Twitter, at GoVeganRadio. There are also some uh, Bob Linden pages on Facebook. One of these days I'll get into Instagram, but not today. Not yet. <laughs> I can only handle so much uh, antisocial media in my life. Um, I barely can keep up with. Uh, you know, just checking out my voicemail. So, again, we thank uh, Gene Blaylock for being with us. I know Gene a long time from 
Oh, animal rights protests in the L.A. area back when he had had his band together. Now a vegan filmmaker. Once again, congratulations to Joaquin Phoenix for winning the Academy Award. And uh, our thanks to him for his acceptance speech, which let's see. Can we hear that now in my little low tech kind of way? Let's see here. has given me the most extraordinary life. Um, I don't know what I'd be without it. But I think the greatest gift that it's given me, and many of us in this room, is the opportunity to use our voice for the voiceless. I've been thinking a lot about some of the distressing issues that we are facing collectively. And I think at times we feel or we're made to feel that we champion different causes. But for me, I see commonality. I think whether we're talking about gender inequality or racism or queer rights or indigenous rights or animal rights, we're talking about the fight against injustice. We're talking about the fight against the belief that one nation, one people, one race, one gender or one species has the right to dominate, control, and use and exploit another with impunity. I think that we've become very disconnected from the natural world, and many of us, what we're guilty of is an egocentric worldview, the belief that we're the center of the universe, we go into the natural world and we plunder it for its resources. We feel entitled to artificially inseminate a cow. And when she gives birth, we steal her baby. Even though her cries of anguish are unmistakable. And then we take her milk that's intended for a calf and we put it in our coffee and our cereal. And I think we fear the idea of personal change because we think that we have to sacrifice something to give something up. But human beings at our best are so inventive and creative and ingenious. And I think that when we use love and compassion as our guiding principles, we can create, develop, and implement systems of change that are beneficial to all sentient beings and to the environment. Now, I've been... I've been a scoundrel in my life. I've been selfish. I've been cruel at times, hard to work with, and ungrateful. But so many of you in this room have given me a second chance. And I think that's when we're at our best, when, when we support each other, not when we cancel each other out for past mistakes, 
But when we help each other to grow, when we educate each other, when we guide each other towards redemption, that is the best of humanity. I just I wanna um when he, when when he was when he was when he was seventeen, my brother wrote this lyric. He said, "Run to the rescue with love, and peace will follow." Thank you. Okay, so a wonderful talk by Joaquin Phoenix. Winning the Academy Award. Congratulations to him. I do understand that he's uh, now working on a on a film related to the sentience of pigs. And uh, we just thank him for speaking out for the animals. Greatly appreciated. I want to thank Vegetarian House, vegan restaurant in San Jose, for its continuing support of Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. This is one of the best vegan restaurants in the world at 520 East Santa Clara Street and highly recommended for catering. Check out vegetarianhouse.us, vegetarianhouse.us. It is a 100% vegan restaurant, 100% organic, and just the most wonderful food imaginable. So check it out, Vegetarian House. Thank you so much. Coming up on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, Professor Gary Francione. And once again, let me remind you that we need your support in the form of a tax-deductible donation at GoVeganRadio.com. Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com, on Twitter at GoVeganRadio, Facebook, GoVeganRadio with Bob Linden. And uh, today we'll catch up with Professor Gary Francione. We haven't spoken in some months here, uh, and uh, today we'll catch up with uh, the first academic to teach animal rights theory at an American law school. And uh, Gary has, uh, and Anna Charlton have written many books, many, many, many books. Uh, let's see. Most recently, the most recent three, I would say, would be Advocate for Animals, an abolitionist vegan handbook, Eat Like You Care, an examination of the morality of eating animals, and Animal Rights, an abolitionist approach. And then we're looking forward this summer to a new one, uh, why veganism matters. Well, that's not a tough one, Gary. Why? Yeah, veganism? exactly. Well, it's it's it's. I'm really excited about it. This is a book that I've just finished, and that uh, it will be published by Columbia University Press, and which is a an excellent press. Uh, and um and it's called Why Veganism Matters. Uh, the subtitle is The Moral Rights of Animals. Uh, it is not a very long book. The idea is to explain to people uh, in a in a logically rigorous but not um, 
uh, academically um, uh, uh, convoluted way, why animals are non-human persons, why they have moral status, and why, if we think animals matter morally, we are committed to veganism. It's not it's not a, a, a choice. It's, a, it's a, a mandatory requirement if you accept that animals matter morally. The only way we can continue to eat, wear, or otherwise use animals is if we uh, deny that they have any moral status and we regard them as things that have no moral value whatsoever. And and so, you know, those of us who and many, many people uh, believe that animals matter morally, but they continue to consume animal products. And um, and I think that, uh, well, this book is this book is really sort of aimed at them. It's it's a book that is aimed at people who who care about animals think animals matter morally, but who are not vegans. And so it's not gonna, it's not a book for people who don't care about animals. I'm not, I'm not out to try to convince people that they ought to care about animals if they don't. Um, it's very hard to get somebody to care about something if that person doesn't care about the, 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 the issue. And this is a book that is aimed at people who do care about animals, who do think they matter morally, um, but who, um, who, who, who continue to eat, wear, or use animal products. And so I'm really excited about that. And I think since the last time I've talked with you, I think Eat Like You Care has gone into another language, although it's now in like 13 or 14 languages. And we've got Hungarian. Hungarian is going to be coming out soon. And I think we have another. I mean, that book is just remarkable. It, it's all over the place. And um, uh, and I, we're really excited about that. But let me also and tell you. Do you hear from people then in countries around the world who read yes. it in different languages? Yes, and- yes, yes, I do. And it's really funny because I get I get emails in languages that I <laughs> read and I have to put them through Google Translate. And um, yeah, no, it's. Um, uh, and, and you know, people take pictures of the book in various places um, when they're when they're traveling. They'll see the book in a bookshop, or they'll see it they'll see it in a restaurant. Um, you know, like a, a vegan restaurant that's selling it or something like that. It's really quite interesting. But the other thing I wanted to tell you is, I'm teaching two undergraduate courses this year. In addition to my this semester, in addition to my um, my law course, uh, I'm teaching criminal law, but in the law school, but in the undergraduate school at Rutgers, I'm teaching two uh, two classes on animals. One is a, a course, and the other is a seminar for honor students. And I've got some really excellent, excellent students. And um, and uh, you know, it, it's it's a, it just it's a wonderful, wonderful group of of, of young people, really engaged. Uh, I had my seminar today, and they're really engaged, and they they think they think critically and they're really sort of puzzling over this and trying to sort of you know, I mean they're, they're people who care about animals they may not necessarily have come to the same conclusion I came to yet but they're they're in the process of thinking about it and it's uh, it's really wonderful to see and uh, I'm enjoying it immensely it's 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 just great it's just great I love I love teaching um, animal rights to the undergraduates it's a it's a terrific experience because so what's a, the difference between the two classes well, it's they're, the content is basically the same. It's I'm teaching one as a course that meets twice a week and it functions like a regular course, whereas the other one is a, more like a seminar. It meets once a week um, for you know two and a half hours, and we it's it's more of a seminar setting. You know, it's where where we're, there's a lot of um, 
discussion going on. And, um, and, and, and whereas, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in a regular course, you're teaching more in a seminar you're having discussions with the students more. It's a much more, I don't know, um, it's a it's a sort of a closer setting and a more, it, in certain ways it's more informal, but it's also more, it's, it's also very rigorous in that, you know, the students, everybody's got to participate for the enterprise to work. And, um, and, and so, uh, you know, but the content is pretty, is pretty much the same There's a little bit of a variation. And I think with the seminar, um, I'm going to have the students do presentations, um, themselves, depending on what areas of, 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 you know, what, what areas interest them. So if they want to talk, they want to do a presentation on say feminism and animal rights, or they want to do a presentation on domestication or on um you know the the what whether or not you can reconcile animal rights with environmental you know can 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 animal rights and environmentalists find common ground stuff like that you know th things that topics that interest find them. common ground like yeah like yeah you're not an environmentalist unless you're vegan yeah that's the common I, ground I, I, I agree with that, but as, as I mean, as you know, there's uh, the relationship between the environmental movement and the animal movement over the years has not been exactly what I call, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's been cordial at best, and 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 I think you know we saw this a lot with the extinction um, uh, uh, rebellion people. Um, that you know they were they were positively hostile to animal issues, and. Um, uh, and and you know, are, are you are you familiar with um, uh, Salesh Rao, Dr. Rao, uh, R A O, climate healers? Um, yeah, I I believe I believe I've had I may have had some contact with him. Uh, so, I'm so not sure. I, I've just recently you know been introduced, and uh, he has an amazing white paper, um, just basically addressing that animal agriculture is the primary cause of uh, climate change and going vegan is the only solution and it's just such a brilliant analysis and it really like sheds a lot of light onto uh, you know, just the whole subject matter related to everything carbon and yeah, carbon and methane and uh, fossil fuels and you know, uh, actually points to land use, you know, changes in land that really generate the most greenhouse gases. So ev even if we were eliminating fossil fuels, there's that land use that's still the worst culprit. And so it's, uh, I'm going to have him on the show in the near future and go over this white paper, but he's, uh, you know, done some amazing analysis to where you know, when we used to talk about uh, and still talk about Robert Goodland and Jeff Anhang at the World Bank, and they estimate that animal agriculture is responsible for at least 51% of human-generated greenhouse gas emissions, Dr. Rao comes out with the figure of 87%. So in the weeks ahead, we will come to see how uh, Dr. Rao comes to an 87% figure. Now, Goodland and Anhang said at least 51%, but animal agriculture is just so incredibly destructive and, of course, habitat destruction and mass extinction. So if anybody cares about animals and not having them go extinct, like you, you have to go vegan. But, but this 
And it, it's like such scientific information, so so science backed and so convincing that I, uh, you know, and then I'm always putting it out there, or uh, you know, in the social media that uh, animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change. Going vegan is the only solution, and I get a lot of pushback, but here's the evidence. Here's it from Oxford University, from World Bank, from Dr. Rao's analysis. So um, it's well. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, the more the more you were talking about them, yes, I, I believe I have had some contact with. It's Climate Defenders. You said is, is the name of the Climate, climate Healers. Climate, climate Healers. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I have had some contact with them. You know, but in many ways, I mean, this is not the the eighty seven percent figure is uh, is uh, interesting. Um, I, I mean, Joseph Poor of Oxford. Um, and Marco Springman of Oxford. Marco basically maintains that you need, if you're going to avoid climate catastrophe, there needs to be like a 75 to 95 percent reduction of of of, of all animal, uh, you know, consumption. Um, and um, you know, as I say, I don't know where he's getting the 87 percent number from. It will oh, be. I'm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to I'm going to send you the. Uh... And then, whoops, there, putting my phone back on so I can send this to you. But uh, we'll, we'll discuss it in the weeks ahead. But, um, you know, that's, uh, that's my tease to get people to listen to future shows that, uh, you know, people thought it was pretty wild saying that animal agriculture is responsible for at least 51% of all human-generated greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but, uh, and, and also, come, there come... Uh, uh, opportunities for uh, sequestration, and uh, as Joseph Poor said, that we would free up 75% of the farmland. If we all went vegan, 75% of the farmland that we use now could go toward reforestation, species recovery, and th that land in itself would remove what is it, 8.1 billion metric tons of carbon from the atmosphere every year for 100 years. I mean, it's just like, the, it's also, the, the effects of going vegan are so astonishing, it's like almost unbelievable um, until you look at, I mean, these are scientists telling, I, I'm not making it up, you know, I'm getting it from... Yeah, I mean, I mean, Joseph, Joseph Poor and Marco Springman, um, uh, I, had, I had the pleasure of having dinner with them uh, in, in London, um, last winter. And they are two very, very bright young people. And, um, uh, they're really, uh, uh I mean, they're really terrific. And they're, I, I was so incredibly impressed. And, and Joseph, uh, Joseph, Joseph did a five year study at Oxford university, five years and studied, what was it? Forty thousand farms. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Jo Joseph is a remarkably smart guy. So is Marco. I mean, they're both really, really smart people, and um, you know, and they're they they are. I mean, I I think they both care about the issue in a moral sense, but they're looking at it as scientists. I mean, these guys, these these people are pretty sophisticated, um, you know, folks in terms of what they, the work that they do, and and um, you know, and I think. Look, the bottom line is whether it's 87 percent or 51 percent or whatever the hell it is, the bottom line, I think, is fairly clear. And that is we are going to be unable to avoid climate catastrophe without a massive, massive, massive reduction 
in animal consumption. Um, and, and, you know, now that doesn't, you, you know, that doesn't address the moral question about we shouldn't be doing it at all because it's not morally justifiable and it's unjust, but the, the environment, destroying the environment is unjust too, right. And habitat and, well, well, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, it is. Yes, it is. But, but, um, there's no doubt. And, you know, again, this is like the health issue. I always get concerned when people say to me, well, we've got to say that veganism is necessary for health. And therefore, and the answer is, yes, you know, I think, uh, can you eat some animal products and still be a very healthy person? The answer is sure you can, because you can be a vegan and eat a lot of junk um, and and not be particularly healthy. You can be an unhealthy vegan. There's no doubt about it. There are vegans um, who eat a lot of a lot of fried stuff. They eat you know they eat a lot of really unhealthy foods. They eat a lot of these uh, vegan fast foods and stuff like that. And and um, and you can eat a lot of you can be be a very unhealthy vegan. Um, and so can you if you eat a you know a, a, a primarily if you eat mostly plant foods. Um, can you eat some animal foods and still be healthy? And the answer is, well, yes, I think that you can. And and so therefore, I don't want to really, you know, for me, the 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 trying to link this or trying to say that, well, you know, if you eat any animal products, you know, you're gonna you're gonna shorten your life and you're gonna start a disease process or whatever. I think is 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 not is not sound. I think that that's a, a um, not a good thing to do because it makes us look um, peculiar. Unless and you um, that one piece of meat with a mad cow pry on, you know. Well, it's it's exactly. That, but that but you know, I mean, but what I'm saying is, you know, if you if you if you ate meat or dairy or whatever, you know, a couple times a month, are you really going to? compromise your health in any way that would be different from the way you would compromise your health if you ate no meat or dairy but you ate a lot of fried stuff on a regular basis a lot of fried plants on a regular basis the answer is well you know i'm not a nutritionist but my guess is is that you know it's probably you know I, I, I don't think that, you know, the latter is particularly healthy either. So to the extent you're compromising your health by eating some animal products, you're doing it by eating some plant products, some, you know, by eating a lot of plant products that are produced in an, or they're prepared in an unhealthy way. And so I, I just think. But you're not compromising you know, your morality necessarily because you're well, eating exactly. plant that's, products. That's, that's why for me, I mean, look, Bob, for many years, I, I had perfected unhealthy veganism when, when, when I, I, we lived in New York, when we lived in New York City. You know, at the I time to admit it, I've been going through some chocolate cake that appeared at Safeway and I'm very upset that, you know, it's like I can't I can't pass it by. It's it's by this company Just Desserts and it says, you know, big vegan across the top. And I, I you know, if I'm in the store I'm telling myself don't go past it. Don't go past the bakery. And then my feet are right at the bakery. And it's like, don't, don't take that cake. Don't. Oh, then suddenly it's in the basket. And then, you know, don't eat it. No. Oh, now I can, can I have some more? It's just like so. I have a thing for chocolate cake. I don't know. No, I, I, I understand. You know, I don't know what to. <laughs> I, I understand. I don't know. I don't. You know. I, I don't know what's in that, and I don't know whether it's a it's an unhealthy thing I, to it's eat. Probably not that good, really. Well, I mean, when too I, much when sugar, I, you know. But oh my god. When, but, when but I, I'm alive at 68. What can I tell you? I, thought, there you go, I was there expecting you go. to die 20 years ago at the age my father died from a you know heart attack because you know he was on the the standard meat, dairy, egg, fish diet. So um, so I'm I have a really high percentage of healthy stuff, but uh, sometimes the chocolate, you know. The no, cake. but I mean I mean when when I was when I was uh, when Anna and I lived in New York City. Um, you know, you never cooked. We were always out, you know, eating out. 
Um, and so eating stuff in restaurants that had a lot of salt and a lot of oil. And, you know, I used to think a double batch of, you know, vegetable tempura was like a health thing. And, you know, that it was a healthy thing to eat. And, and um, you know, I, I ate a lot of very unhealthy vegan food. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I don't now, now I'm much more careful now, um, that, that, um, like you, I am creeping towards old age. Yeah, well, and, um, yeah, and so like, I know, I'm I know, I never thought I'd, 30, 36 years now vegan. So yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it's it, for, for, for me, it's been since 1982. So it's basically what? 37, 38, 38 years. And, um, and, um, and so I, I don't know. I mean, I think trying to link this with health, you know, with ve veganism, is it's clearly it's a healthier way to eat. But is it necessary to be a vegan to be healthy? I don't think so. It seems is, to be the healthiest um, and in terms of reversing disease, if one were to go, you know, the full the full health route, you know, that they they say, you know, the, the whole food you know, they, 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 they try to say healthy vegan by saying whole food plant-based, but I still cringe at the term plant-based, so I, I try not to. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I eat mostly, you know, I eat mostly, I'm 70% raw, and I don't, don't use any oil anymore. I don't use, we don't have salt in the house or sugar. Um, and, and so, you know, so, so just, what was dinner tonight or what is dinner, di dinner tonight? Dinner tonight? Dinner tonight was an enormous salad. Um, with lots of good vegetables and beans and and walnuts and 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 a uh, a low uh, of uh, you know a, um, an avocado dressing that a vegan avocado dressing that has very little salt uh, and no oil and um, you know and it was it was I I love I mean frankly I could eat that three times a day and be happy I love that sort of food. Mm. Uh, and, and, um, you know, and so that was dinner tonight and, um, and, but I don't eat what I used to eat, the unhealthy vegan foods I used to eat. But I do think, I think we make a mistake when we try to sort of, you know, pin, when we try to say that, well, environmental concerns mandate veganism. No, I don't think that that's true either. I think environmental concerns mandate on a dramatic, dramatic reduction in, you know, not, not, not meat free Mondays or, you know, or, or, you know, a, a big reduction, but a massive reduction of animal, animal foods. Um, and, and, you know, can, I'm, I'm going to go with the environmentalism mandates veganism. I'll go with that one. That's well, you know, I, I mean, it, it certainly, it certainly militates. True. It's certainly true. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it militates in favor of a massive reduction. Is it possible for us to avert climate catastrophe and still have some animal agriculture? I guess that would 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 depend on whether we reduced other sources of greenhouse gases and environmental insults. If we reduce those things, we might be able to accommodate some animal agriculture. That's the problem. Is that I don't think you get to any absolutes in the environmental or health situation. I think the only way you get to an absolute is when you're talking about the moral dimension of it and the fact that non-human animals are are, are non-human persons who have the moral right not to be used as commodities because they matter morally and they're not things. And therefore we have to, you know, that that commits us to veganism. Mm. And um and and so I think that's and I think that's the easy one. And you know interestingly 
Um, I've never in my life ever known somebody who was a vegan for environmental reasons who didn't eat some animal products. And I've also known, I've never known anybody who was a vegan for health reasons who didn't eat some animal products. The only people I know who don't eat any animal products under any circumstances are the people who regard it as a moral mandate, a moral, a moral imperative that they, you know, they, they see this, you know, uh, they look at, they look at, at eating animal products the same way they would look at any other violation of fundamental rights. They can't do it. They can't morally justify it. But I I see people who do it for health and then they become into it for animals or the environment. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That, that, yes, that is, that it is possible to start it for health reasons and then move into the moral, but, but what keeps them, what keeps them completely 100% vegan in eating, wearing, using whatever is not health. It ain't the environment. It's morality. It's the right. Uh, that I know. Sure. Look, I, yeah, I'm right the, there. I, I eat the chocolate cake, but I would never eat a non-vegan chocolate cake. You know? Exactly. 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 You know. I mean, and and so so you you know that what keeps what 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 allows people to remain vegans um, is their commitment to the morality, you know, to the justice of of what veganism. You know, veganism represents justice, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, but in any event, so, you know, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think, you know, I think I think all the all the arrows point in terms of, you know, I mean, clearly it is absolutely clear that without a massive reduction, whatever else we do, we could we could, you know, we could reduce our flights. We could reduce the the burning of fossil fuels for 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 transport. We could do all sorts of stuff. The bottom line is we will not be able to avert climate catastrophe with this level of animal consumption. It, you, it will you are be poss- now in possession in your email of a very interesting white paper. So I'm gonna uh, yes. Be well, I, I, in I, your I, uh, I, response to it because uh, it's really interesting. Really, I look for I look forward to reading it because I I. I I mean, I've never heard of a figure that high. Well, so, as you so know, Goodland and Anhang said, you know, at the World Bank, the, they were considered, you know, the world's top climate specialist advisors to the World Bank. So their figure was at least 51% of all human generated greenhouse gases from animal agriculture. Well, at least 51%. What could that have meant? Well, Dr. Rao does this analysis and you'll you'll look at it and you'll see. To him, it means 87%. At least 51 means 87 now. So, and I'm happier to quote a higher number with the science backing it. So, well, as long as long as the as long, I mean, I I think I think you need to see not only what his methodology is, but you also see need to see what the reaction of the scientific community is in terms of you know whether and I mean there are people who think that the World Watch study, the 51%, is a is you know is has issues, although I think it does stand up. I think it's definitely. Um, I, I think the the, the Goodland and Anghang study. Um, I think it, it stayed it, very well respected. The, the the problem is that people que- keep quoting the uh, UN FAO, the Food and Agriculture yeah. Organization, yeah, yeah, which yeah. initially said it was eighteen percent. Animal agriculture accounted for eighteen percent of human generated greenhouse mm-hmm. gas emissions, and then uh, the FAO. Uh, just because they felt that 18% sounded too high because that was still more than all transportation, they lowered it to 14.5% uh, for, for no reason. Like they couldn't back their reason. They just dropped out of the discussion related to why they would pick that figure. But the FAO um, is a member of an international livestock uh, 
Association dedicated to increasing animal uh, agriculture products uh, doubled by 2050. Um, also in that International Livestock Federation is the Humane Society of the United States. So the FAO is the livestock industry. So it's, you know, what it puts out isn't very credible, but you get a lot of the animal organizations and everybody quoting the FAO because, the, you know, they think that's the UN, where I was told uh, by World, World Bank people that the World Bank is connected to the UN as much as the FAO. So, uh, so the 51% figure was highly respected, but, you know, 51% is more than everything else combined still, you know, so that's pretty, you, you can't beat that. Whatever else there, there is out there, it's, combine it all, it's not going to come out to 51% like uh, yeah. Goodland and Ethang. I mean, I mean the, 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 but the bottom line is, is absolutely clear. You're not going to be able to avert climate catastrophe at this level of animal agriculture. It is absolutely impossible. It can't be done. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's clear. That is absolutely clear. I do not see how anybody can even question that. Uh, whether, whether you whether you're looking at the FAO, you know, the, the, the UN study or you're looking at the World Watch study, whatever, you just can't. There's no way around people it. People who get donations from the, the livestock industry are, are the ones who can question it. The, yeah, well, the, the, I mean, the big environmental groups who get money from uh, ranchers like, you know, 350.org and Greenpeace and Sierra Club and Oceana, Oceana telling people that you can eat, eat uh eat uh you know sea life so kind of kind of crazy out there um, yeah no there's there's no there is no doubt there is no doubt that um you know that 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 animal agriculture is a complete disaster for the environment in so many different ways i mean it's not just it's you know it's not just the the, the you know the 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 cows uh, or the ruminants you know producing um, uh, or increasing greenhouse gases. It's transportation. It's all the equipment that is used. It's the, refrigeration. It's, it's growing the all the food for the animals. It's the, the most wasteful environmental catastrophe imaginable. It is now. It is now also. It's now also clear that this by idea that you know that we hear that we you know we hear all the time from people that if you eat locally produced animal products, it's better than than eating stuff that's flown in and the answer is that's categorically false that's yeah. that, that right that the green that the that the greenhouse gas contribution of transportation is nothing compared to the the production of animal products and so you know i mean it, it, it all everything points to the you know to the same conclusion that animal agriculture is a complete ecological disaster and you know what i what i hear all the time as a matter of fact i was talking with some people the other evening and uh they were two vegan you know two vegan friends and um they were talking about how you they're can all never be too vegan really come on exactly exactly they're two two vegan, vegan friends of ours and we were at a vegan restaurant that had um actually they had whipped banana they had this you know they had these frozen bananas that they put into a machine that makes it like a soft ice cream you know and but all it is is bananas. There's nothing else in there. Yeah. And I was just sitting there eating. I'm embarrassed to say, but it's just bananas. So it really wasn't anything bad. But I was eating like multiple tubs of this stuff. <laughs> it, was, it was so good. But we were we were in this restaurant and I was, you know, they were eating. They were eating food while I was eating bananas. And um, and uh, 
we were talking well, about bananas are food too. Yes, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I just was eating a lot of them, and um, uh, and and they were talking about how that you know people are always saying, well, yes, we understand, but you know, change comes slowly, and and I said, you know, I hear that from people all the time, and I always say to them, you don't understand, we don't have the time. Do you not get it? <laughs> you know, it's not it's not an option. It's not like, well, you know, we'll make some, I mean, it's a more morally, we obviously have to do it right now because that's what justice requires. But as far as the environment is concerned, this idea, you know, when I hear people talking about, well, we're going to have net zero by 2050, what are they talking about? Net zero is useless anyway, because net zero allows for carbon trading and, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, trading all the scams, all the nonsense. It, it's, it's a complete, but 20, 2050 for, for net zero is ridiculous. 2025 for net zero is also ridiculous because, um, you know, it, it, again, you're talking about 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 carbon credit trading and all that sort of stuff, you know, these, these corporate, you know, uh, uh, shell games. But I, I would say to people, listen, you don't understand. California is burning. You know, Australia has been has suffered some very serious damage recently. Um, you know, Puerto Rico is probably never going to recover. Uh, you know, you're you're seeing I mean, Venice is just Venice will soon not be. I mean, Venice will, will soon be underwater. <laughs> and, and Venice Beach, too, in California. Right, exactly. Exact. I mean, you know, this is not something we can't, we can't say, well, you know, change comes gradually. The answer is, wake up. If you, you know, if we don't do something like, like as of yesterday. And, you and know, it's funny when you, you run across these people who are alarmed about climate change and they're all upset and it's like, oh, no, what, we got to do something. And then they go, what? Give up my meat? Wait yeah, a second. Exactly. You know, wait a second. That, now you're going too far. Now you're going too far. Yeah. No. It's it's uh it really is. It's really just just quite remarkable. And uh, oh, quite... There, there was something I, I I wanted to ask you. Uh, get your opinion. Um, I was. Uh, did, did you see that there was uh, this guy in Atlanta? I believe his name is Philip Williams, and he was uh, suing Burger King because he was buying the whatever the vegan Whopper is, Impossible Whopper. And um, then he was suing Burger King because it, it's cooked in the same grill as all the other meats. So it, yeah. had, it had all sorts of, you know, meat byproducts all over it. And he thought it was being marketed as vegan. Did you have any uh, thoughts on that? On, on... Uh, yeah, yeah I, I do. I mean, these these companies are not, as far as I know, marketing is vegan. As far as I know, they're basically saying it's not appropriate for vegetarians or vegans. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if they're marketing it as vegan, that's one thing. If they're if they're not market, marketing it as vegan, then that's well, another vegans thing. Vegans are talking about it as if they're vegan. You know what I mean? I think vegans, well, but that's, a lot of vegans are celebrating that's not, that's that not, these places have them. And so then... You know, may encourage others to go. Oh, then I'll go get it there because this person in Atlanta, I, I guess, must have thought it. You know, by implication, since the Impossible Burger is a vegan product, maybe he expected it to be vegan coming from the store. Like, you know, usually we try to make everything vegan that wasn't vegan in the past. Now, now we're taking something vegan and making it not vegan by cooking the way they're. Well, well I mean, you know, I, I have to tell you. Um, I, I've had a number of, of arguments with people 
both personally and on my Facebook page, because I don't believe those. I mean, I think it's a no brainer. Of course, they're not vegan. And um, I don't really see the difference between something that's cooked on a grill where there's meat being cooked and something that is fried in oil in which meat has been fried. I, I just don't see the difference. And those are not vegan. Those things are not vegan. And and um, and people go, you know, get very upset and say, well, I'm being a purist and blah, 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 blah. I said, no, no, I'm in total agreement with you on this. Definitely. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not I'm not being a purist. I'm being a vegan. And, and you know, I, I wouldn't eat. And they say, well, you know, it's just it's a it's a it's an insignificant amount. And, and it's no different from buying something that is made on equipment that in which animal some animal products are are made and that's absolutely false i mean you know um i remember um i was uh uh i remember being out in oregon and and um i was friends with the person who started the had the first brand of vegan chocolate and it was made in a in a in a factory that made regular milk chocolates, but where the equipment was washed out every night. And I mean, really washed out because I saw it half. I saw the, the, the cleaning of the equipment. I mean, it was, it was cleaned with high power boiling water hoses and stuff like that. And I understand that, you know, when they market that stuff, they may say made on equipment, you know, that, that, you know, that processes dairy, they have to do that for legal reasons. In the event that anybody has some reaction, has an allergic reaction, they don't want to be able to say that there was contain, you know, that 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 there was contamination that wasn't disclosed. But I mean, that's done for legal reasons. That's done because lawyers, um, you know, will sue and and people are trying to avoid lawsuits. But that's very different from cooking something on a grill in which which animal products are being cooked. Because first of all, you know, the the grease from the animal from the burgers are sort of like you know, there's no way you you, you can't. The thing that you're eating that's been fried on the grill with animal products has got a, a significant amount of animal fat on it. There ain't no way around that. And and so, um, you know, this idea that, that that's OK is just really sort of shocking to me. And what's really incredible to me is you get animal people. I mean, Burger King doesn't say that this stuff is vegan. Animal people do, as you pointed out just now. And and, um, you know, and, and so. You have this strange situation where Burger King, I mean, first of all, you, know, you have Burger King, which is a horrible, you know, exploiter of animals, is producing this. And it's not, this is not intended for the vegan audience. This is intended for people who, you know, who normally eat that crap and, you know, eat, eat in Burger King. And, you know, they want to try, you know, they want to try a non-meat sort of thing. And they try, it's, it's, it's aimed at people who are, who are meat eaters who are curious. It is not aimed at the vegan market. Indeed, it is explicitly not represented as vegetarian or vegan. And so the idea, I mean, I'm not really clear. I haven't looked at the guy's papers to see what his cause of action is. Um, I, I think if it were being marketed as a vegan product, um, then then I think that would be then. Then I think there would be a, a legitimate lawsuit there because it would be a battery in the sense that the, the you know the, the person is consuming something and ha and 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 an animal an animal product his his body is being affected by uh, uh, in a way that he didn't consent to. 
um, which is similar to what we call battery in tort law. And, um, well, and well, so, I think I think it's that yeah. the, the Impossible Burger is marketed as vegan. That's considered, you know, it's a, a vegan food. So if one is buying an Impossible Burger at a Burger King, one might think that it would maintain it's a veganosity, you know, I mean, like, yeah, uh, but, but that, that, that may be, I mean, first of all, talk about unhealthy things to eat. So, I mean, let's, let's be clear. Let's be clear on this. Could you, if you, if you lived on a, on a, a diet of impossible burgers, um, that was, you know, that, that, that were properly cooked, not in animal fats so that it, they were in fact vegan. Um, would that be, you know, healthier than, um, eating, uh, a, a very a very healthy uh, plant based diet and occasionally having meat and the answer is yeah fine you, you, I I think those things are very unhealthy uh, those 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 non meat burgers are 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 not particularly good for you I don't think uh, some, some better than others you know I mean yeah like, some so, so, yeah some better some better better I, than I, others I really like the Morning Star uh, quinoa sweet potato organic mm, they're kind of tasty I must say. What is it? Is it a fake? Is it a Morning fake? Star, they're, they're quinoa sweet potato, organic quinoa sweet potato burgers. They're, oh, well, but that's but that's different though. That's not mocking. That's not that's not attempting to be like a meat thing, is it? I mean, the fact that it's, it's in a, a patty. Pa- I mean, it's still. Yeah, well, yeah, the fact that it's in a patty form. So what? I mean, you know, that that's not. I mean, it's not intended to mimic meat in in the way that these other things are. And and I think you know, I th- I think, but anyway. So I, I you, you I don't that, think that Burger King though thinks that it can increase its uh, market share by attracting vegans, like or, or thinking that okay, the three meters with a vegan friend now can come to Burger King. Like I mean, it's, well, I, 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 yeah, I mean, look, I think that they are not marketing it as vegan, and they are probably sitting in their boardroom laughing at the fact that the animal people are busy doing their their marketing for them mm-hmm. and and trying to get vegans to eat this stuff when in fact Burger King is not marketing. I mean, I think what Burger King is doing is quite smart. I mean, it, it's quite smart. It's not it's not marketing it as 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 vegan or vegetarian. It is primarily aimed at a non vegetarian, non vegan audience. Um, and and to the extent that the animal people are busy promoting it. And praising Burger King, Burger King is happy to take that, and they're happy to accept. You know, they're happy to take the 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 market increase if they get a market increase. They're happy to take that. Um, but I, I think it's you know I think I I I I don't think it's you know I I think it's I'm very disappointed that animal people are promoting this. And you should see, I mean, I, you know, the the number of 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 really nasty comments whenever I criticize this stuff. You get these people coming on, you know, these, the, I mean, the, the, you know, animal people and the animal people come and they just go ballistic and say, you know, we've got to support this. This is stopping animal suffering. And by I say, why, why do you think this is stopping animal suffering? Oh, it's saving countless lives. Where do you get this from? Why do you think this is the case that it's saving countless lives? And, and, um, you know, and and oh, you know, it's it's saving it's saving countless lives. Then you get into these discussions. What I, I I try, you know, to the extent that these people remain civil, and that's a, that's that's another problem. I mean, a lot of animal people are incapable, absolutely incapable. Maybe it's a B twelve deficiency or something. 
they're they're incapable of having civil conversations. If you disagree with them, they just they just get angry. They become abusive. Really, quite quite deplorable behaviors. And um, so I try to engage them. I say, all right, well, look, what's the difference between eating an animal product which is fried on the grill with these these animal foods um, and uh, other animal foods and eating something that's fried in in reusable lard? Well, there's a big difference. What's the difference? Well, you know, there's really it's only trace amounts on that. Why do you say it's trace amounts? It's not trace amounts. It's not it's not at all trace. We're not we're not talking about molecules. We're talking about there's fat. There's animal fat getting onto your supposedly vegan burger. And um, and then, you know, then you get into these discussions that if it's if if it's just a matter of, well, you're not in if you're eating one of these things, you're not participating uh, directly in increasing demand for animal products. Well, I think you're participating directly in animal exploitation. Um, but even if you don't raise the demand for animal products, that's like saying, well, if I if I'm if I'm passing by Burger King, and there's a bunch of hamburgers that have just been just, you know a, a freshly cooked hamburgers that freshly cooked that day, so that they're not rotting. Well, I guess they're rotting immediately, but you know, but they're not they're not they're not going to cause you to get. Um, uh, you know, some sort of illness immediately, um, just heart heart attack, heart, heart disease and cancer down the road. But they dispose of these things and you pass by the Burger King and there's a there's a bag full of, of discarded hamburgers. Then why can't you eat them? Because you're not increasing the demand for animal products. Um, if you do in particular, now, the, the response is, well, if anybody sees you do it, then, you know, you're reinforcing the idea that animals are things to eat. Yes, I understand that. I've made that argument many times myself. But what if you do it in secret and nobody sees you do it? Is it OK? My view is no, it's not. But if your answer is, well, just, you know, you can it's all right to consume products that that, you know, that have, it's, it's all right to consume animal products. Even if the burger is technically speaking an animal product, you're not increasing demand. And the thing is, you know, OK, fine. Let's assume you're not increasing demand. Then you can eat the discarded hamburgers. And so, you know, you end up with these. It, there's really no principled way of of um, of dealing with the issue. And so. Uh, if, if it's cooked separately, is it uh, then okay? If it's cooked, well, I mean, I mean, you know, the thing is, under the blow dryer in the bathroom or something. You know? Well, what I don't understand is, if 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 Burger King wants to get the market, uh, if they really want to get a vegan market, then the thing to do is to have a microwave or you know something. I don't know what that you know some some sort of. Or have a separate grill. Not the blow dryer in the restroom, but well, no, I mean they don't. They don't. Have to, they they can they can just have a separate grill. I mean these places are large enough so that they can have you know they can have a side grill where they they just don't use they don't have any animal foods on there and they just fry the burgers on those on that thing with oil or whatever. The hell, you know, with vegetable or whatever they use, and then and, I don't, I don't trust the Burger King workers after hours. You know what I mean? It's like ah, they think this is the vegan grill. I'll show them. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's a whole other issue. And, you know, and and there's always a problem. I mean, that's the main reason why I don't eat cooked food in a non-vegan restaurant, because you never know if people are going to put you spoons and and and, you know, if they're going to, if you know, or skate around the floor on the burgers. Um, I, I hate to say from like firsthand knowledge in my high school days from knowing friends who worked at places like that. But they skated around on the floor with the uh, with the burgers. So yeah, well, I mean, I, I can tell you when I was in college, um, I worked in the in the food, you know, in the commissary, 
Um, and um, it, it, I can tell you that um, it gave me a whole new way of thinking about eating in restaurants <laughs> because, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's very common. And I had a lot of friends who who have worked in, and owned restaurants and stuff. And they say, you know, it's very difficult because people drop things on the floor. And if you're not watching them every single minute, they pick it up and throw it in the pan and stuff <laughs> like that. And, and, um, and so, you know, I, so I tend to avoid eating cooked food in, in, uh, eating, you know, like when I, when I eat in a, in a restaurant that isn't vegan, I generally stick to salads and raw things because i don't like to eat stuff that's been cooked because i'm not 100 percent sure of how it's been prepared not that not, not that necessarily anybody's doing it intentionally to be evil but you know that people just aren't careful because it's not their issue and so they they cut corners because they don't think it's particularly significant and that concerns me um and and so i don't you know uh, but 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 i don't but this is what puzzles me i really don't understand why if burger king wants the vegan market They'd be much better off installing alternative cooking devices. You know, I, I still wouldn't, you know, wouldn't eat in those places. But um, but I don't eat Impossible Burgers. I don't eat, I don't ha I don't buy the things and make them myself in my house, which is completely vegan. Um, and and um, you know, when when we moved into this house, we replaced the stove, we replaced the refrigerator, sure. we replaced everything. And and, Understandable. Um, and and it's not just Burger King. It's all these other slash food restaurants, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I mean, I, I don't understand if they want the vegan market, they need, you know, then then if they put the grills in or, or something else and they and they they didn't have buns that had, you know, that that had animal products or dressings or whatever the hell they're using in these these things, they could make a vegan product, um, you know, uh, directed to the vegan market. And, you know, they would have, you know, animal people uh, flocking there, at least some animal people. And um, uh, and so I don't understand why they don't do that. I guess perhaps because they're getting the animal people anyway and they don't have to do that because they're getting you know, they're, the animal people are busy promoting, giving them free promotion. And and even though they themselves claim it's not vegan and not vegetarian, I mean, it's really quite smart what they do. I, I think it's really brilliant because they're they're. They're not taking any legal risk. And I, I think, I mean, I don't know what this guy's suit is about, but my guess is, that, you know, uh, I, I'd be surprised if he gets anywhere with it, um, you know, because they're not doing it. And you can't say, well, the, you know, the animal people are doing it. Well, good. Sue them then. Um, but but, you know, why are you suing Burger King? Burger King isn't marketing it as a vegan product. And, um, you know. I think, you know, well, what if there were a product called Joe's Vegan Burger and McDonald's started carrying that, you know, and then but was cooking it on the same grill as, as the dead animals? Well, but 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 if McDonald's said if McDonald's made clear this product is not vegetarian or vegan, because that's what Burger King. I don't know what I don't know anything else. I, I know Burger King is explicitly maintaining. I believe I don't know. I haven't been in a Burger King in in a long time. It's my understanding that the menu says it's not suitable for vegetarians or vegans. Oh, that, uh, that I don't know. I, yeah, I, 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 I that's called the Impossible uh, Whopper, right? I think. Yeah, it's the Impossible Whopper. But I believe that the 
the marketing of this thing by Burger King is that it's not suitable for vegetarians or vegans. Now, I don't know, you know. Don't, don't make me go into a Burger King to do research. Uh, that's the, that's too much for me. Yes, exactly. That's where you draw your line. Yeah. But, but you know, so I think I think that um, you know I'd be surprised if this if this suit goes anywhere. But you know, I'm, who knows? I mean, <laughs> look, it's an. Well, I think his, his name is Philip Williams, um, and I think it's Philip Williams versus. Uh, Burger King, somewhere, I think it was filed in Florida, so you could probably Google it and see it. Oh, yes, no, I'm sure I could get it online through West Laurel. Yeah, yeah, well, you, 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 you should know where to find something legal, right? Yes, 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 I will take a look at it and see exactly what he's what he's alleging, and I'm sure that their response is, well, that's great, but we're not marketing it that way, and, um, you know, so we'll, we'll just have to see how that, you know, but I do, look, I do think that when when um, there, there's an awful lot of food where, uh, and, 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 and supplements and stuff like that that are marketed as suitable for vegans that aren't vegan. Um, and, and, you know, uh, and people, ha people need to be very, very careful. Is it about suitable it. for vegans that aren't vegan? How, yeah, how I, mean, I mean, you know, uh, um, you, have to be, you, you have to be very, very careful. Um, you have to be very careful. I, I um, think that that means it's vegan, if I see suitable for vegan. Well, I, I know, but again, again, it's not necessarily intentional. Um, you, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, for example, um, there was somebody who was, man, who, was, who was marketing an ashwagandha, which is an Ayurvedic herb. They were marketing an ashwagandha remedy. And the, the particular ashwagandha, was a was a standardized form of ashwagandha that um, has some dairy in it for some reason I don't remember but they were made, they were marketing it as a as a vegan product and when I saw that it had the standardized ashwagandha I called the company and I said I see that you're using because it, it was a it was a patented it was a you know it was a standardized form but there was a patent on it and it was called a particular sort of ashwagandha and I called the Company, and I said, I see that you're selling an ashwagandha remedy that 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 is made with this particular standardized form of ashwagandha, and um, and you're saying it's vegan. As I understand it, that 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 particular product um, is not vegan. It it's not made. It it, it 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 the 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 company that makes the patented product that you're putting into your your capsule with magnesium stearate or whatever you're using to make the capsule, the company that supplies it says it is made with milk. So, or there's some amount of milk in there um, or some dairy product. And, um, and the, you know, I talked directly to the company, to the, to the, the head of the, the CEO of the company. And, and he said, you know, gee, I didn't know. I didn't realize that, um, you know, because they were, they, they thought it was, you know, because it was marketed as kosher, they thought it was okay, and so you know they stopped. They stopped. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. I I I checked recently to see that you know now they're still marketing it as in vegan caps, but they no longer have the product with a with a vegan designation on it. It says kosher. It says vegan caps, but it doesn't say vegan. So you know, people so have to be would careful. Be led to believe that it's vegan if they care enough to put it in vegan caps. I would think well, it's vegan you know, if I see in vegan caps. Yeah, I mean, you would think that, but there's a, there's a lot of there are a lot of supplements, a lot of supplements. You got to be really careful with supplements. There are a lot of supplements out there that are in vegan caps that aren't themselves vegan supplements. 
Um, and you got to be really, really careful about that. That's why you got you've got to make sure that the product is being marketed as vegan. And you also then have to make sure you have to do your. I mean, it, it, you yeah, know, you, you have, have to, to call the president of the company. Well, I mean, you know, you have to you have to do your own homework to make sure that um, you know that 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 the product is in fact vegan. And and um, you know and and um, I know I over the years I've had a number of these of these conversations with people said you know that's not that there was I remember I remember several years ago at Whole Foods um, they were in their in their um, in their uh, bakery department in one of the Whole Foods around here they were you know they were I don't remember what it was that I wanted to buy but there was some baked good and it had sugar in it. And and I didn't have organic sugar. And I got to the person who was the head of the baking for, you know, the and when I said, is is that is that beet, uh, you know, is that beet sugar or is it cane sugar? And they didn't even know why, you know, so what difference does it make? I said, well, it makes a whole lot of difference because if it's cane sugar and it's not organic and it's in, 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 in you know, you're buying that sugar anywhere in the United States. The, the likelihood, the high likelihood is, is that, you know, it's bone chard and, refined and sugar, refined. well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and, and so, so in this country, I mean, in other countries, it's not the case in Britain, uh, well, in Britain, it's mostly beet sugar, but here it's cane sugar and, and it's bone chard. And, and, um, and so they were, they were selling stuff that was vegan and, and it had sugar in it and they didn't know what the source of the sugar was. Um, and so, you know, I mean, you got to be. I, I don't. I don't buy. If I just see it say something says sugar, I. I don't yeah, I, I. I don't. I don't either. Unless, I mean, I'm not a big sugar eater. Um. And and um. But I wouldn't buy anything that didn't have. If it's organic sugar, it's not bone chard. Right. But if it's, if it's if it's not organic sugar, it's most likely bone chard, unless it explicitly says beet beet sugar, because beet sugar is not bone chard. But in this country, it, I, I don't know if you remember, but we were talking uh, something about this issue. Many moons ago, and uh, we were talking about that. I believe it was the Vegan Society in the UK that would uh, put a, uh, you know, vegan stamp on something. But there was one product that uh, had the vegan stamp, but it said may contain fish. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, that's a, that's a whole other thing. Is these is these 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 labels are also problematic because, I mean. I don't know if the vegan society has changed it, but the vegan society basically used to re- used to used to rely on the representations of the people getting the 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 certification. So if they said it was vegan, there was basically no you know there was no or little checking by the vegan society. And and I remember having some correspondence with them a few years ago um, when they I don't remember what was whether it was before or shortly after they threw me out and didn't allow me to be part of the vegan society. Um, but I was I was concerned about their trademark because I didn't you know, they, they were relying on the self-reporting of of the, the, the people who were getting the mark. And, you know, and it wasn't clear to me that that was a particular as a matter of fact, it was clear to me that that was not a particularly good and reliable way to ensure that things were vegan. And and um, and so, you know, you got to be really careful, um, you know, well, when well, if something says vegan may may contain fish. I, I don't feel too good about it. Myself. No, I, 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 I agree. I mean, where, where the line gets harder to draw, although I think not that hard, but um, certainly much less difficult than frying burgers on a grill. 
where there's meat being fried, is when, when, you know, a lot of products you see, say, you know, made in a factory that processes dairy or whatever. And, you know, vegan uh, people who manufacture vegan things oftentimes don't have their own factories. As a matter of fact, generally they don't. They're using somebody else's factory. And that factory may process animal products. And so they've, they've got to put a cross-contamination notice because if anybody, you know, has like a peanut allergy or something like that, you know, and, or, you know, people have, have a, there are people who can get deathly ill if they get exposed to dairy. Um, you know, so you put a, you put a, a, a warning, a, a contamination warning on, um, you know, that doesn't bother. I mean, you know, if something says that, uh, I don't need a whole lot of processed foods, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned about, um, eating, chocolate that had been made on a machine that had that had also made milk chocolate but as long as it was you know as long i mean as long as it was properly cleaned um i, I wouldn't be terribly concerned about that because that that the i mean that that's that is for legal, literally for legal purposes because I have myself seen how these how the equipment is cleaned and um, if there's a molecule of milk, um, you know, I, I would be shocked. I, I'm literally a single molecule um, of milk. I would be absolutely shocked. That's very different from frying something on a grill with hamburgers. Uh, you know, where where you're going to have that oil, you can't avoid it. And, I, I love seeing when it, I, I really like it when it says though that. You know, uh, uh, made on machinery sh shared with uh, tree nuts. Then I feel so good about it. Yes, know, exa exactly, exactly. <laughs> then I you can know, feel good about that. You know, there's there's another issue that I think a lot of a lot of vegans just get wrong, and that is this issue that uh, if it's made by a company that you don't like ethically, even if it's completely 100% plant, it's not vegan. I think that's nuts. I think that that is that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of of, of position that makes absolutely no sense and makes veganism impossible because, um, every company, you know, I mean, I mean the idea that we wouldn't consume an animal product because even though it's, it's, I'm sorry, a vegan product, even though it's vegan and doesn't have any animal ingredients whatsoever, it's manufactured by a company that manufactures, um, uh, uh, animal products. Um, and, and that makes no sense to me because that's like saying, well, I'm going to I can't eat in this vegan restaurant because not everybody who works in the vegan restaurant is themselves vegan because and, and I'm putting money in the pockets of people who aren't vegan. I mean, I remember once having dinner at a, at a really excellent um, vegan restaurant owned by two people. One was a vegan and the other was not. And, um, so if you eat in that restaurant, you're putting money, you know, you're putting money in the pocket of a non-vegan. Um, and I think some of the people who worked in the restaurant were not vegan. So, you know, you're putting money in their pockets. You can't, all money is dirty. And so you can't really sort of, um, uh, uh you know, draw you, you, I just don't think you can, if you have a rule like that, it's a rule that's impossible. It's basically impossible to, 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 to follow because, Everything will be everything is contaminated by bad money because all money is dirty. So even if you, you know, even if you say, well, I'm not going to buy any animal products that are produced by a company that um, any uh, plant products uh, that that are produced by a company that produces any animal products. So so I'm going to grow my own.
I'm going to grow my own food. Well, fine, you can do that, but you're going to get seeds that are transported on, you know, trucks or by, you know, uh, are produced by people who are not vegans. So, you know, you just can't, you just can't avoid that. The, the thing I see all the time is that if a company does animal testing, it's not vegan. Now, I obviously object to animal testing, but what's the difference? And this is, this is, you know, this is something I think just vegans miss completely. What is the difference between a company that does animal testing and produces a vegan product and a company that does not do animal testing and produces a vegan product, but where animal products are sold in the cafeteria of the company to the employees? What the hell's the difference? And the answer is, I don't see the difference. I really just don't see the difference. And so if you'd say, well, I would eat the pro the second product, the product that's produced, not, there's no animal testing. It's hundred percent plant, but they serve animal products. I don't see, I don't see how that's a, how that's a, a coherent distinction. And I think that I'm opposed to animal testing. Obviously I'm opposed to animal testing. I'm opposed to all animal use, but to say that a pro product is not vegan because the company tests is in my judgment, absolutely wrong. It's vegan if it has no animal ingredients. End of story. It's vegan because there was that issue that came up with diet cheese. This is how it came up, actually, for the first time, um, was diet got bought by some Japanese company that did animal testing. And people were saying diet cheese was no longer vegan um, because the company that acquired it did animal testing. And I said, that's, of course, that's ridiculous. It's, <laughs> is there, are there any animal ingredients in it? No, then it's vegan. Um, there may be other moral reasons why you don't want to eat it, but to say it's not vegan is is just wrong. Because what if, about what about if it's a product um, that itself is uh, used in in animal testing? Like wasn't the um, was it the Beyond Burger? The, you know that they were testing the the genetically engineered ingredient uh, on animals. So does that burger then? Uh, become not vegan even I, again again i don't i don't see the difference between i mean what difference does it make whether they're testing that product on on, on animals or other other products on animals um why does why does it make it any less vegan than if they're not testing anything on animals but they have a cafeteria where they're serving meat and dairy to their employees or they have vending machines that contain meat and dairy i just i just don't i just i don't see the difference and I don't think it makes it what makes it vegan is whether it has any any animal ingredients. There may be other reasons why you don't wish to consume that vegan product. I mean, for example, um, although I think all restaurants that are not vegan are immoral institutions, I might say that even if Burger King made a completely vegan product, um, that was not fried on the grill and didn't contain mayonnaise and you know and milk in the bun or whatever the hell it is. I mean, it was a hundred percent plant. Um, I still I could see an argument that I still wouldn't eat, go and consume that product because I don't wish to patronize Burger King because even though all non-vegan restaurants are bad, there are certain non-vegan restaurants that are worse that I don't wish to patronize because they they represent a a particularly morally odious, um, you know, they are particularly morally odious um, in terms of animal exploitation and other issues, the way they treat their workers or the fact that they don't give them health insurance, you know, whatever. Um, I, I can see other moral reasons why one would not consume a vegan product, 
But to say that they're not vegan is to confuse the hell out of the issue. I think there are two separate issues. One, is it vegan? And then are there moral reasons why um, we shouldn't eat those products? So, uh, so a vegan product can be tested on animals and still be vegan because yes, of, of, of yes, its ingredients. Yes. So the burger yes, yes, itself. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. It's it's only it's whether it's vegan is determined by what the ingredients are. Right. That's that's all, that's the only thing that determines whether whether it's vegan, because once you start saying there are things other than the ingredients that you know and 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 that there are relationships to animal exploitation that can make a completely plant thing non-vegan. There's no way to draw the line, and then then nothing is vegan because everything has got some connection to animal exploitation. And so why is testing any worse than other things? Um, you know, testing is bad. There are, but so are, so are a lot of other forms of animal exploitation. So you can say that, I mean, let's assume you have company A is producing a plant product and they test it on animals. Um, company B is not producing, is, is producing a plant product that they are not testing on animals, but company B also owns a slaughterhouse. Um, and, and so, you know, you, are you going to say that, that product A is not vegan because it, it's been tested and product B is vegan, um, because it hasn't been tested, but it's being produced by some company that owns a slaughterhouse. I mean, that just makes no sense to me whatsoever. It, both products are vegan. The issue now there may be other reasons why we don't wish to consume those vegan products. There may be other reasons, um, you know, like for example, uh, I mean, I, I I don't think that orangutans count for anything I, I, are morally more significant than any other non-human animal. So I don't see palm oil as being worse than other forms of oil that involve exploitation of other animals. But even if that were not the case, even if I didn't think that way, and even if I thought palm oil was particularly bad. Um, I would not say palm oil isn't vegan because it involves the killing of orangutans um, any more than I would say that olive oil is not vegan because it involves the killing of other animals in the processing, you know, in the, in the harvesting and the, you know, the, the, pro- in, in the, in the whole olive growing enterprise, there are other animals that are killed. I wouldn't, I would say both the palm oil and the olive oil are, are, are vegan, um, we we might wish, for example, we might say, look, um, although olive oil is bad because animals are exploited, it's a vegan product. But, you know, all all products involve some sort of incidental death of animals. So therefore, unless you're going to starve to death, you're going to be eating some product in which there's been some incidental or unintended death to animals, a death of animals. Um, I could see the argument that I don't eat palm oil because um, I am particularly concerned about the environmental impact of you know uh, it, it, that that palm oil involves particular environmental insults that make it qualitatively different from other oils. Let's assume that that argument was made. I could see if, if there was a plausible argument in that regard to not consume the palm oil for those reasons, but to say it's not vegan is ridiculous. Of course, it's vegan, <laughs> but you know you may not want to eat it because there may be other reasons why you don't want to eat it. Um, you know, but it's not because it's not vegan. I think I, people think that maybe they just take on a non-vegan aura. There's like an evil associated with. Yeah, it. and I, I, th- I think, I think that that's 
you know, that's that's the sort of thinking that is like fuzzy to the point of being incoherent. But, Bob, I have to, it's it's 830 and I've got some things I've got to do before tomorrow morning because I have a class bright and early and I have young minds to form. As a matter of fact, I have my animal course tomorrow. Um, and and so I have to I have to get ready for that. And I have enjoyed talking with you. And I hope we, we don't go have another six month hiatus. No, but, we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep them coming. So I'll yes. be uh, Back in touch with you soon. Have a look at the uh, environmental white paper that I sent you. I, I, and, I shall. Uh, I shall. And shoot me. Shoot me a a, a note when you're going to have this guy on, so I can listen. Um, and uh, you know, because I'm really interested in this. I want to want to see what this guy has to say. But let me know what's going on, and I hope I talk to you soon. Will do. Okay. Thanks Take care. for talking to you, Take Gary Francione, and uh, check out HowDoIGoVegan.com. Thanks, Gary. Take care, Bob. about do it for this episode of Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. This is one of our our longer shows, but I suppose if you're sitting quarantined somewhere, you'll appreciate a longer show. Pass the time. Pass the time being quarantined by uh, this week's lengthy show. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, again, uh, let us ask you to uh, please stop climate change by going vegan and letting everybody else know that that's the solution also. And another way that you can support that message is to uh, make a tax-deductible donation to Go Vegan Radio, our 501c3, our educational 501c3. Uh, So we will talk to you uh, next time. Make a donation.